Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. This show will begin shortly after these messages from our advertisers. Advertising is what keeps the show alive. Your support means they'll continue to advertise and the podcast will continue to be free. This statement has not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you in bad pain? You know what I mean. Your knees hurt, your shoulder hurts, and your back. Oh my God, your back. They're constantly killing you. And I'm sure you've tried every pain pill or cream available at the drugstore. Am I right? Well, here is something you haven't tried. Pain Absolve. Pain Absolve is not available in any drugstore. The only way to get it is by calling today. We're so confident that it will work for you that we offer a free bottle with your purchase. No prescription needed. And best of all, each purchase comes with a money-back guarantee. Call now to find out how you can get Pain Absolve and get rid of your pain. Call 800-261-0783. That's 800-261-0783. 800-261-0783. Call today. 800-261-0783. Are you lacking a little something between paranormal and abnormal? You need the Into the Parabnormal store. Now open at parabnormalradio.com. From hoodies to shirts, accessories, and our digital music library, it's all available in the Into the Parabnormal store. Your purchase directly helps support the show. Thanks for buying from the Into the Parabnormal store at parabnormalradio.com. Hey, Mike, what are you doing way up on that ladder? You're going to hurt yourself. Oh, I'm trying to unclog these gutters. That's smart. I had water damage from my gutters last year. It cost me ten grand. Yo, wait, $10,000? Yeah, and from over here, it looks like water's been pouring over your clogged gutters, and it's probably doing real damage to your foundation. You need to do what I did. Get off the ladder and call Leaf Filter. Yeah, but I need to get these gutters flowing now. That's why you need to call Leaf Filter. They'll clean and realign your gutters and install their exclusive micro-mesh screen system so nothing gets in your gutters except water. So Leaf Filter protects my house from damage and means no more gutter cleaning for me? Bingo! Plus Leaf Filter has an industry-leading lifetime warranty so your gutters are covered for life. Thanks, Frank. I'm calling Leaf Filter today. Don't go another day with your home unprotected. Call 1-844-300-LEAF or go to tryleaffilter.com for your free gutter inspection. Call 1-844-300-LEAF or go to tryleaffilter.com right now for an extra 15% savings. Call 1-844-300-LEAF or go to tryleaffilter.com That's one 844 Leaf. Hello? They're all over the place. Aliens hasn't contacted us so far, except maybe in the state of Arizona. Major sighting here. 
They are not what they claim to be. We are controlling transmission. Is not an alien force already among us? There's something out here. I'll be in your head before you wake up. I felt like something was near me. They don't know they're dead. Holy Originating from a remote location, nearly as top secret as Area 51. We have made contact with extraterrestrials. My phone rings, I pick it up. It's your program on there. Now you tell me how that happened. Somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. These glowing objects crash and then hundreds of red eyes are coming at them. You're traveling on the edge of midnight into the paranormal. With Jeremy Scott. Oh, it is so good to be yakking at you on a Saturday night. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than with you. And it is a privilege that you are tuned into this program. I am Jeremy Scott, and tonight we're talking about the Black Panther phenomenon, also an unconventional tale of time travel, as we're going to journey through time. That's in our third hour. You might be able to tell the voice is a little bit raspy. I don't know what it is, uh, but uh, all week I've been fighting it, and so uh, uh, I think we'll get through it just fine tonight, uh, knock on wood, but I may need some help from you, Intent. 855-790-8255, that's 855-790-8255. We're chatting on Discord, we're chatting on Spreaker, we're chatting into the end of the Paranormal Facebook group. I am without my moderator tonight, um, so forgive me for uh, joining you a little late over there, but we'll get it going here. Here in uh, not too long of time. You know, we are in the uh, the time of year right now where we're in retrograde. This is when all sorts of weird stuff happens and everybody blames it on the retrograde. Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto are already in retrograde. Neptune and Mars are going to join them next uh, or later this month, I believe. And... It's going to continue at least through into the month of August. And so if things are a little bit chaotic for you, if you have relationship problems, if you have money problems, if you have job problems, if everybody just seems like they have a stick up, you know where, it's because of retrograde. So just cut them some slack. Apparently, retrograde is uh, is to blame for all of this. And... Uh, in addition to that, it also causes weird technological interferences. So, everything looks good. Five by five here in the dungeon tonight, and we shouldn't have any of those problems. If we do, we'll know it is retrograde's fault. Well, how can this one go wrong, friends? Artificial intelligence named Norman is the first... In the world, unveiled by MIT, by the way, as a psychopath. That name sounds familiar. It does share the name from the Alfred Hitchcock classic film Psycho, the knife-wielding killer in that movie. And apparently this uh, robot has some of the same traits. This was released by researchers in the U.S. The world's first psychopathic artificial intelligence that can't end 
well now, can it? Speaking of not ending well, a woman, a woman is in jail, or at least was in jail, because she claimed that she was warned through telepathy of a possible attack at the DOJ, the Department of Justice, in Washington, D.C. A woman from Massachusetts told them she was contacted telepathically by someone who warned her that a shooting would happen at the DOJ. So, as you can imagine, police police sirens are going and they swarmed the building, did a search, found out there were no suspects, there were no shooters, and now the woman is facing charges. Wow. I wouldn't recommend that. Uh, If you believe that uh, you have some sort of telepathic powers... Um, you could maybe share that, um, not with the law enforcement, unless you actually believe that your telepathic communication is spot on. Well, then you might, you might, uh, alert the authorities, then you might end up in jail for filing a false report. I don't know what's crazier, either of those headlines or this one. A man is heartbroken. He's been dumped by his girlfriend. Why? Because the ghost of a seven-foot-tall circus ringmaster followed him home from an exorcism. He was apparently in good health, but then things started going downhill, and unexplainable things started happening after he participated in a paranormal cleansing. In fact, the word die, D-I-E, was scrawled on the inside of his windows, and apparently he snapped a picture of this menacing circus ringmaster. He dumped him. It wasn't too long ago. There was a story about a man who was forced to make a decision, stay with his wife, who had these creepy, creepy dolls, and or or uh, move on. And I would hope for his sake that he is that he has moved on. We're going to talk tonight uh, with Michael Mays here in this uh, first half of the program. We'll be joined by E.G. Rowley in hour number three. And I hope you can be with us for the entire program tonight. We'll have uh, John Jeter as well at the bottom of the hour with Parabnormal News. So a pleasure to welcome Michael Mays to the program right now to talk about something that I think a lot of us are, are not aware of. We think of Black Panthers as... I don't know, maybe a movie title or something that is just reported. But is it is it even scientifically possible that a that a beast of this kind can roam? You see, for generations, residents from coast to coast have reported encounters with these large black long-tailed cats that are known as black panthers, which have left a trail of dead livestock and confused witnesses in their wake. These animals are not supposed to exist. They are not recognized by science. And despite the reluctance of wildlife officials to accept the reality of these cryptid cats, anomalous tracks continue to appear. Pets and farm animals continue to disappear. And sightings are still being reported. Michael Mays is a Central Texas-based history teacher and coach who has had a lifelong interest in strange phenomena and mystery animals. For the past 15 years, he has investigated sightings of both out-of-place known animals and those that may or may not exist. 
He writes about his discoveries and shares witness reports on his Texas Cryptid Hunter blog and writes about this in his new book. It's called Shadow Cats, the Black Panthers of North America. Privileged to have Michael Mays with us into the Parabnormal. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So tell us how you got involved in this Black Panther phenomenon. It probably started with cryptozoology uh, as a whole for you, if I'm not wrong, but then you started getting these reports of a beast that should not exist, yet it does. Yeah, that's correct. I've, I've always had uh, an interest in um, you know unusual well, mysteries, but I uh, was never much into you know the Sherlock Holmes Agatha Christie type mysteries. It was more mysteries of the natural world. So growing up as a kid, uh, it was kind of the golden age of, of cryptids on TV and things, you know, television shows like uh, In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy and uh, Peter Graves had a show. The name of it escapes me at the moment. But um, even the Six Million Dollar Man fought Bigfoot on TV one time, you know. So as, as, as a lot of people of a certain age, I've always had this interest. Um, and so um, I started a blog about it about 10 years ago now and really thought I would talk kind of about the holy trinity of cryptozoology, that being uh, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, Yeti, those, those type of animals, and anything else unusual that kind of cropped up, just kind of put my two cents in on it. And one day I did a post on Black Panthers, and um, there had been some sightings up uh, to the north and east of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And as soon as I posted that article, my inbox just just blew up just blew up with people wanting to report these things. And it was very shocking to me because uh, I grew up in East Texas and these were just kind of, these animals were just kind of an accepted part of the local fauna. They were just animals that lived out in the woods or in the bottoms. And you didn't see them all the time by any means, uh, but it was not really that unusual to, for someone to report seeing one. And uh, it was quite shocking to me to find out they're not supposed to be real at all. So, Michael, when was the first report that you received? Oh, well, that would have been, I mean, I heard of, I've heard about them since I was a kid. So, But the first formal report would have been shortly after, um, after I started writing the blog. So, again, that would be go back, you know, nine and a half, almost ten years ago. Um, and for a long time, what I would do is I would collect <clears throat> these accounts that would come in and whenever possible, you know, talk to the people who, you know, correspond with the people who sent them in to me. And uh, I would publish them as blog posts, you know, kind of. After a while, I just really started to accumulate a huge number of them. And I thought I really need to do something with this information rather than just post it on the blog. And that was kind of the genesis for the book idea. So it's safe to say maybe the maybe these reports date back several decades, maybe half a century? Oh, oh, well, just to uh, reports of the animals in general go back, go way back. Yeah, they go all the way back to the earliest um, Anglo settlers who, who moved you know down into the south as as manifest destiny was taking hold and, and our country was creeping westward, um, reports came from some of the early earliest settlers, uh, especially down here in Texas and in the South. Um, easily back to the mid-1800s, um, 
stories from the Native Americans go back farther than that. Um, it's hard because almost without exception, they didn't write anything down. Their traditions are oral in nature. So it's hard to say how far those go back. But uh, things get a little clearer once the, uh, once the Anglo settlers started to move in because they did write things down and they did establish newspapers and, and they had diaries and journals and things like that. Michael, what does a Black Panther typically look like, and do the reports vary at all? Well, the typical report is of uh, basically a mountain lion-sized animal that's jet black um, with a long tail. Uh, Often you'll hear a witness say the tail is practically as long as the entire body. Um, Weight estimates range anywhere from... You know, 90 pounds up to 150 or 200 pounds, depending on who you talk to. There are some reports of cats that are smaller than that. Um, every now and then you'll have a witness reports that they could make out markings or spots on the cat, even though it was black. You know, when the light hit it just right, they could make out some markings on it underneath the coat. Uh, but the typical descri- description, if you kind of picture a mountain lion in your head, but black. That that's pretty much the typical description. So this is something that's not supposed to exist, yet it still does. Well, that that's what these folks are saying. Um, it, and a lot of people say, well, what, what do you mean they don't exist? I've seen Black Panthers in the movies. I've seen them on TV or the circus or, or the zoo. Uh, what you're familiar with seeing are... Uh, melanistic leopards or jaguars uh leopards of course are from asia and africa um jaguars are a new world cat but they're thought to be gone from the north american continent with the exception of a few stragglers hanging on out in uh, arizona and extreme southern new mexico jaguars can be black as well um so what you've seen on television or in the movies, that, that's what you've seen. You've seen a black leopard more than likely. So is there any other, any other thing than that in which we've described some of the physical features that would differentiate a black panther, say, from a jaguar or something else? Uh, is, it, is it something that can easily be mistaken? Well, I think um, I do think there there have been some cases where some people have been mistaken. Uh, we've become a much more urban society over the last fifty years or so, hundred years, and people have have gotten out of the country onto the concrete, and they don't leave it much. And, and as a result, they're not as familiar with their wildlife as they used to be. So. I, I don't think I've ever been lied to by a witness I've spoken to. I do think there have been some times when the witness was mistaken. Um, and I've, I've collected about 150 what I think are credible accounts of large black cats. I have easily twice that many reports in my in my files that I just have questions about. So I'm, I'm pretty stringent on the things that I actually put out there and, and chart and things like that. I, I try to really eliminate the possibility of, uh, of misidentification, but that's always something that you have to consider. Um, just typical examples, I, I get emails weekly from people 
who I've got a mountain lion prowling around my house. What do I do? I've got a picture of it, and they'll send it to me. And I used to get kind of excited about this. You know, hey, man, picture of a mountain lion. Uh, Well, almost invariably, it turns out to be a picture of a bobcat or something like that. People just aren't as familiar with their wildlife as they used to be. And we continue to encroach more and more on habitat, and, and they're starting to see it again. Michael, you are the Texas cryptid hunter, but uh, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. This is this Black Panther phenomena isn't something just isolated to the Lone Star State, is it? No, no, it, it's from coast to coast, um, uh, north to south. Uh, now I'm one guy, so the bulk of my uh, research, if you will, my collection of reports is from Texas, but. Uh, Looked into it deeper in, for the book. I, there are reports going out to the Bay Area of California, all the way out to the Carolinas, uh, back to the East Coast. And then uh, there's a, a real interesting incident I talked about from Guelph, Ontario, in Canada, of uh, a, a big black cat that was seen. So this is something that's, it, it is literally across the continental U.S. Um, and it's probably more than one person could ever hope to keep up with. Why do you think that um, Black Panthers are featured on television and even in, you know, a movie, Black Panther, um, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that actually had anything to do with Black Panthers or not. I can't tell you because I've not seen it. I just know it was a name of a uh, movie. Why do you think that's the case if if science says this thing should not exist? I mean, what? what? Well, uh, you know, when you're watching a, a TV show, um, it, it, it's just that it's it, it's not real. You know, it's just it, the reason they're featured is because they're really cool looking. They're really amazing looking animals, and they, and they are unusual, and they are more rare than your typical spotted jaguar or leopard is. And so um, they're thought to be kind of kind of special. As far as you know the movements that you know that superhero that marvel character has been around since i was a kid in the 70s at least um so i couldn't really tell you as to what the origin of all that is but i can tell you after seeing the movie that um a lot of the the imagery the um um the statues and things in in this fictional character's home land did feature big black you know cats which uh, again, you know, there is such a thing as black or a melanistic leopard. I get when I say they're not supposed to exist, what I mean is they are not, there's not a separate species of cat. There's no animal called a black panther recognized by science. What you have are melanistic leopards, melanistic jaguars. Um, there is no such thing as a black panther. That's kind of a term that's. I don't know what you might call it a colloquialism or something like that. Just kind of a a slang term to describe all large, long-tailed black cats that that has been used here in the South and in Texas for a long, long time. Um, But that's what I mean by there's not supposed to be a separate species of animal called a black panther. Do these uh, panthers have any fear of humans? Um, I, I, from most of the reports I got, very few aggressive encounters um, where anyone felt afraid. Most, most of the encounters are, are fleeting in nature, and it's an animal that ends up running off or, or walking away, that kind of a thing. I, there are a handful of, of aggressive encounters. A lot of them are historical in nature, 
But there are some as recent as as within the last calendar year. Uh, there's a lady who uh, contacted me. Um, oh, it was right around the new year, I think. And uh, her daughter had, had a run in with a big black cat on their property. She lives on the um, Sabine River in northeast Texas. And daughter was out walking. They had 300 acres down in the bottoms of the Sabine. It's just beautiful property. And the daughter was out for a walk out in the woods and, you know, came face to face with one of these things. It was up in a tree, jumped down. And for, you know, 1,001, 1,002, things were kind of touch and go as to which way this cat was going to go. And after a few seconds, it decided to turn and go the other direction as opposed to confront her. But it was it acted aggressively um, initially. Uh, a little later, her son in the same general area was out hunting hogs, he and a friend, and he reported being, uh, wasn't exactly chased out. They had a four-wheeler. Uh, they heard some growling. They heard some noise. Uh, they decided to leave the area. They knew what they were hearing was not a hog, and as they got in the four-wheeler to retreat, they looked behind them, and large black cat was trotting along behind them. Um, they seemed to feel like it was more of an escort out of the area than it was actually trying to catch them, but it did um, it did put a pretty good scare into them. As I can imagine, we'll continue with Michael Mays, a Texas cryptid hunter, in just a moment, talking about Black Panthers and the phenomena known as shadow cats. Stick with us. We'll be back after John Jeter and Paranormal News after our bottom of the hour break here for all of our network affiliates. And the number is 855-790-8255. That's 855-790-8255. Or you can Skype. Just go to the search bar, type in ITP51. You'll find us or go to the website, paranormalradio.com, and click that Skype button. We'd love to hear from you. Miss the show live? Listen to it anytime, as many times as you'd like. Subscribe to our podcast at paranormalradio.com. I'm John Jeter. While all the talk is of going to Mars, it may be more realistic to explore Venus. For one, it takes half as long to get there. A group of aerospace engineers at NASA's Langley Research Center have devised a plan to soar above the clouds of Earth's nearest neighbor and build an aerial colony. The high-altitude Venus operational concept, or HABOC, would send up a two-person crew in a blimp-like airship to set up a floating base camp and develop the infrastructure for a long-term atmospheric habitation and colonization. Venus is the closest, most accessible planet in our solar system and is near 
nearly identical to Earth in size and mass. Mission analyst Chris Jones says, The atmosphere of Venus is one of the more hospitable locations in space. While it's probably impossible to survive on the surface due to the temperature, 30 miles up is another story, with gravity similar to what it is on Earth, and the thick atmosphere would protect against radiation. As for sending humans to Venus, that's not expected to happen for decades. Can the universe be simulated on a supercomputer? A team of coder cosmologists have been working on exactly that for more than a decade, and it seems that they're starting to master the science and art of cosmos creation. By applying the laws of physics to simulated matter, they have seen it evolve into spiral galaxies and clusters. Tiziana DiMatteo, a numerical cosmologist at Carnegie Mellon University, says, We are in an exciting place where we can actually see these models to make completely new predictions. Connect with the news at ParabnormalRadio.com. I'm John Jeter, Parabnormal News. Jeremy Scott asks the questions that we're all dying to know on Into the Paranormal. I see your questions. We'll get to them here in just a moment with uh, Michael Mays, the Texas, Texas cryptid hunter, talking about shadow cats, the Black Panther phenomenon. And he has uh, painted a picture uh, so far for us of, well, we know that they have long tails, 90 to 250 pounds, as big as a mountain lion. Something that's not supposed to exist, but yet does. And people report encounters with these Black Panthers, not just in Texas, but all over the place. And these reports are still coming in. Do you think maybe this is some sort of interdimensional um, being, Michael? Well, um, I haven't seen any evidence that would convince me of that. Uh, I really, truly believe there's a biological entity behind the sightings. Um, my knowledge of such things is fairly limited, uh, but um, you know the tracks that are left behind and uh, scratch marks, scratch posts, things like that. The, I don't, um, I don't see anything. Uh, or haven't heard of anything that's outside the realm of what a basically we just what a big cat how it would behave. So uh, I would say it's much more likely. I'm a big Occam's razor guy. You know, the most likely explanation is probably the right one. So I, I think it's a biological entity that seems the most likely um, explanation for them. Now, exactly what biological entity? That's that's really the question here. Well, Bigfoot also is not supposed to uh, exist scientifically uh, either, and yet it does. And, you know, uh, so there's th- th- uh, thought that, you know, maybe that's interdimensional, something that can 
you know, that it could be uh, something that is recognized by science, but yet can, do we call it shapeshift or, or something like that? Well, maybe if, if not interdimensional, maybe these are shapeshifters. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty open-minded guy. Um, I've never had a witness uh, report seeing anything kind of morph from one form into another or anything like that. Um, so just to this point, nothing I have found would seem to indicate that. Now, I do know uh, whether we're talking about uh, Bigfoot or Black Panthers or whatever, that many of the First Nations peoples, you know, attributed spiritual, um, att- you know, gave spiritual attributes uh, to known animals. You know, uh, they carved them into their totems. They, they took them as their uh, spirit animal, you know, and, and things of that nature. And they kind of assigned to them um, some special abilities that might be considered paranormal today, but they were always based on real animals. Uh, you go up to the Pacific Northwest and you look at the totems from, from the tribes up there and, you know, you'll see, you know, mountain lion, bear, beaver, eagle, you'll, you and then you'll see all of a sudden this, this Sasquatch. Um, so to me, that's strong anecdotal evidence that whatever it is, it's real simply because everything else on that totem is real. Why would they just make up? that one, you know, and so that's kind of where we are with, with the cats as well is, is, you know, I, I just, I I just think they're a biological entity. Um, and, um, exactly what they are. I don't know, but I would have to, uh, hear something pretty convincing for me to think otherwise. These stories are overwhelming, but have you personally seen a black Panther? I have not. No. I have not. I would love to. Uh, I've got some close friends, uh, a couple who have. I have been lucky enough to see a mountain lion in the wild in a part of East Texas where they're really not supposed to be. Um, That occurred in the Sam Houston National Forest um, back in uh, May of 2005. Uh, Just kind of crossed the road in front of the vehicle I was riding in and they, at that time especially, were not thought to be in that part of Texas. Um, but there he was, you know, as big as life. Um, so I've not seen a black one, but I have seen a cat that wasn't supposed to be where it was. Um, so that leads me to believe that, you know, there's no reason these couldn't be out there as well. If you possibly can, percentage-wise, uh, on, the, on the reports you get uh, of the people who, who feel threatened by this what would you say that would be oh very small very small most of the um accounts uh most of the people see the animal there's at least a little bit of distance between them and the animal there are a lot of encounters a lot of visuals take place uh uh, people from from vehicles um uh, not all of them traveling, you know, 70, 75 miles per hour at the, down the highway, a lot of them on country roads. A lot of times I've got a, a handful of reports where people have pulled up into their driveway uh, and they have a shed or a carport or something. And as they pull in, a big black cat hops down off the, the shed or the, the carport and, and trots off into the woods, you know, things like that. So 
Very few are, are real aggressive in nature. Uh, very few truly what I would call scary accounts, at least not recently. Now, there are some historical accounts that I have uh, dug up that are very different, um, where there have been attacks and things attributed to these cats. And, and of course, I just related about the lady up, uh, living on the Sabine River who um, her, her kids are pretty convinced that the, the cat was aggressive toward them, even though there was no physical attack, thank goodness. So when we say attacks, we're usually talking about what, uh, domestic uh, pets? Oh, uh, well, uh, the problem is there will be periodically, there will be livestock kills, pets will disappear, um, all, all of the above. The problem is that often we find the remains of the animal uh, after the fact. We, we, you know, you go into the uh, the chicken coop, and you know there are twenty dead chickens in there. But we, you know, you didn't see what did it. Um, uh, you know, the the family cat has disappeared, but we didn't. We don't know for sure what got it. You know, we've had some horse kills up in Central Texas where I live. Over, man, it's been a little while now. It's been several years ago when we had a pretty strong drought going on at the time. And I really feel like Big Cat was coming in to get water from the troughs for the horses. But uh, and, and ran into the horses and thought, hey, you know, while I'm here, might as well eat, too. And and it was obvious from the wounds that it was a cat that did it. But what you don't know is the color of the cat that did it, uh, a track or a track way doesn't tell you the color of the animal. So very rarely are there any witnesses to, uh, to these incidents. And, and that's one of the problems that we have. As far as those attacks, Michael, are there any uh, that have been reported in, in modern times? Uh, as far as I know, no. There have been some, some cases. There, there was a lady or I should say there is a lady who lives in Ellis County, Texas. This is just kind of, oh, I guess, to the um, the south and east of, of Dallas. Uh, nearest town would be Waxahachie, for those familiar with Texas. But uh, she lives um, in, in that area, and she was, um, was several years back, very cold, December, unusually cold for Texas. It was like 19 degrees that night, and she has horses. And so she went out. Uh, she was going to give them some extra alfalfa. And to help get them through the night, and she, um, this was late at night, and and she was banging around in, in a metal trailer. This is where the alfalfa was, and she was getting it out. And as she was putting it out, she would call the horses. And I've I've been to the property. I had game cameras up on the property for years, and and I've watched her call the horses by name. And wherever they are on this property, they'll come running, you know, because they know she's got something for them. And she called them, and and they didn't come. And she called them, and she didn't, they didn't come. And uh, next thing she knows, she hears something in the brush line growling, and, and all of a sudden it starts running toward her. And it burst out of the brush, and um, she was, um, as I said, she was putting out some uh, alfalfa. And so between her and this animal was a kind of a metal uh, trough, if you will, and and this animal pulled up a little short of that, but she says it got within 12, 15 feet of her. It was a big, dark, dark black cat, and it pulled up short and then 
turned around and, and went into the, the brush again. Uh, I've never heard of bluff charges and stuff like that from cats, but um, I've gotten to know her very well. Her story has never changed. And I can tell you uh, her fiance saw a big black cat walking the fence line two days later. And they took a bulldozer to that brushy area uh, after that. So they, something happened and she got scared. There was an aggressive encounter there. Um, but as far as physical contact with the cat, none that I'm aware of that was black. The growling, that would just get to me. How common of occurrence is that in the reports you've uh, documented? Well, for the people that, that are out and about, it, it's it's pretty common. That's often what um, draws their attention to an area in the first place. Uh, the thing that's kind of odd sometimes is whether it's hiking through the woods or whether it's just somewhere on their property, if, if the animal had just stayed quiet, they never would have known it was there. But it, it got uh, at least aggressive enough to, to growl, um, and it's always described as a, as a very deep, deep growl. Um, not unlike what, you know, a lot of times people will, will go to the, what they've seen on the Discovery Channel, you know, something with, with African lions or something, kind of that deep, throaty growl that they have. And uh, everybody in Texas is pretty familiar with um, coyotes and feral hogs and things like that. And they're, they're always adamant, this, that's not what this was. That's not what this was. There's no way. And, um, but it's confusing because, like I said, they would have walked right on by had they often, had they not heard the animal first. So, but it's, it's a pretty intimidating sound, apparently. Do these animals react to food? Like, if there's any food left out, are they are they drawn or lured to the area? It, it's hard to say. Um, they're not. Uh, I don't know many people who've baited um, for them specifically. Down here where we are, we are so overrun with feral hogs. It's it's not even funny. It's it's a real problem that they cause just millions if not billion dollars in damage every year to the farms and ranches in texas and anything you leave out these things will eat anything and they are everywhere so it's it's rare anything lasts long enough uh to 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 sniff it out to find it uh before the hogs can get to it uh there's also coyotes and and um you know your bobcats and other you know predator slash scavengers around that are certainly more numerous than any kind of big cat would be. So it's, it's kind of hard to uh, specifically target that animal. So as far as I know, we haven't uh, we haven't had anybody that's tried to bait them out and draw them in that way. Now, you mentioned uh, in that one instance that uh, the Black Panther got within, oh, 10 to 15 feet of this woman, and I can imagine what her reaction to that may have been. Um, did did she start to retreat at that moment? Did she maybe grab for a weapon or something? Because that's now closing in on my personal space. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She, um, she as I, I believe I mentioned, it was very, very cold. So it was about 19 degrees or so. Um, and I, I, I cross-checked her report with, you know, went back to look at the weather in the area. Everything checked out. It was very cold. And she said she was wearing a really big puffy kind of parka like coat uh she's not a big woman at all and uh but this coat she felt like made her look 
bigger than she was. And um, she uh, raised her hands up above her and started yelling at it, get out of here, get out of here, while backing up. She, she did have the presence of mind to not turn her back on it. That's one thing you never want to do with a cat is, is turn your back on it. And um, she just slowly retreated back to a safe distance and eventually the cat broke off and went back to the brush where it had come from. But uh, it was a pretty intense experience for her. And um, you can see the goosebumps come up on her arms when she talks about it to this very day. You know, it's uh, so something scared her pretty bad that night. And like I said, the corroboration was uh, two days later, her fiance saw a cat that matched the description uh, that she had described, you know, running, walking the fence line of their property. So, um, so you know, you got two people within two or three days of each other seeing the same basic animal, and uh, uh, but that's what she did. Uh, not unlike what you might do if you came across a bear, or a coyote, or anything else that that might seem aggressive. You don't want to turn your back to it. You get your hands up above your head, yell, scream, try to look bigger and tougher than you really are, and. Hope they buy it, and in this Throw case, stuff. it seems, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it seems like it bought it this time, and and it retreated to the brush. How common do you think it is that people come that close with a black panther? Oh, that that's very unusual. That's very unusual. Like I said, most of the the sightings uh, are from at least some distance. Um, uh, now, now we've had people come out and and say there there was one sitting on the end of the porch, but as soon as they open the door, it's jumping up, up over the railing and and getting out of there. Most of the time, they seem to want nothing to do with people at all. But they, for whatever reason, they from time to time are living in close proximity to people. Like I said, we've had them up on top of houses, uh, sheds, or carports. Some there was one uh, another cold weather report from Central Texas where. Um, a uh, big black cat came out in the morning and it was laying on the hood of the car. And they speculated that, uh, you know, they had come in late that, uh, the night before and, uh, gone into the house to go to bed, but they, they just speculated that the, uh, the, the heat from the engine kept the hood of that, uh, truck or vehicle warm longer than the ground. So it was jumped up there and, and resting on top of the hood of this car. And, so, you know, they're around uh, probably more than people know. Um, I do think if they were a terrible danger, we would have heard a lot more about them by now. Any uh, reports of anybody ever capturing a Black Panther? No, no, not. Ca- I don't know how you would go about doing that. Um, um, you know, you see, I think we're, we're a little fooled by some of the nature documentaries and things we see on, on TV where these guys go out and they dart something and they knock it out and they go and they weigh it and measure it and do all that kind of stuff. Um, that That's tricky business and, and your normal citizen doesn't have access to that kind of equipment or those kinds of drugs and, and, and things of that nature. Plus, you have to know what you're going to, to dart, you know, too little and it doesn't knock it out and you approach it and you get yourself in trouble or too much and you kill it. And um, so nobody that I know of has made an active attempt to capture one. 
Um, there have been rumors around about people who have shot one, but yeah. um, uh, you know, here in Texas, there, there's a kind of a brotherhood with the ranchers and the farmers, and they have a, a kind of a saying among them among themselves to is shoot, shovel, and shut up. And they don't, you know, if they shoot something and that is menacing their 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 animals, their livestock. Um, and they get a look at it after after the fact, and they're like, hmm, I wonder if that's illegal. I wonder if that's an endangered species. I want you know all that kind of thing. A lot of times they'll just bury it on their property somewhere and not say anything to anybody. And and so there are rumors of that kind of thing a lot. Um, the closest to that that's been reported to me was a man who uh, reported hitting one hitting one with his vehicle, and. Uh, hmm. And that that's an interesting story. Um, Did it survive? Said, at least initially, he said he was on a it's a farm to market road here out in the country here, not too far from where I live actually. And uh, this thing kind of trots across the road. He said he hit the brakes about the time he hit it. Um, he said he was probably going 30, 35 miles per hour. He said he felt it hit the bumper of his car. He said he didn't run over it like with the wheels. Uh, but he hit it. He struck it, and um, he said it kind of rolled over and then got up and, and kind of trotted off into the wood line. And uh, now it very easily could have died, you know, right there off the side of the road in the woods. There, for for what we know, he 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 told me he said he had no desire to go after a big cat that had just been hit by a car. He felt like that wasn't very smart, you know, in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere, which I understand. So. Um, he, he contacted me, uh, the next day, uh, a friend of mine lives in the area, went out to look for me on my behalf, went up and down and all around the area, couldn't find anything. The problem in Texas too, is, is there's so much privately owned land. Uh, you can't just go hopping fences in Texas without getting into criminal trespassing issues. And so we didn't want to, you know, venture too deep on either side into someone's property. So um, so we don't know what happened to it for sure, but what the man did do is he had enough peace of uh, 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 it was enough in the moment that he went out to his vehicle, inspected, really was inspecting the damage to his bumper, and uh, there were a bunch of hairs on it from whatever he had hit, and he collected those and sent those to me. And uh, So you have the hairs, so, Michael? I do, yes. Have you I sent do. those out for analysis? Well, <laughs> I've tried. Um, this has been an eye-opener for me, and, and I sent queries out to every university in the state of Texas that I could think of, um, to the heads of their biology departments. Um, I mean, all of them, from the big ones to the small ones uh, and everything in between. I heard back from three people. One lectured me, said I was wasting my time because there's no such thing as a Black Panther. Don't you know that? Well, that's why you need him to investigate it for you. Well, and I said, he said, there's no evidence to suggest there's any such animal. I said, well, I might have some evidence. And that's yeah. why I'm asking someone to look at it. He said, well, your evidence cannot be valid because there's no such thing. So wow. it, was very, it was a very circuitous argument. So that was one response. Another guy responded. Uh, he was very nice. 
uh, he sent me a copy of a hair atlas. Um, basically, it was just full of microscopic picture, you know, pictures of hair under under microscopes to you could see the characteristics, uh, the morphology of the hair under microscopes, and so we could compare it to the animals, the known animals in that hair atlas. But that's that's as much as he was willing to do. There was one guy from a university in Southeast Texas um, that initially was very enthusiastic. He told me that, you know, he's the head of the biology department. He said, but he was a, a herp guy. He was a, um, a, a reptile guy. And uh, he said he would talk to his mammal guy. And he, he was very excited initially because he said that after one of the hurricanes that had come through there several years ago, he had been down the area doing a census of, I don't know, some kind of, some kind of lizard or something. And they were out in the woods and he said he saw one himself. He says he knows he, he knows they're around. He saw one. He saw a big black cat walk across the dirt road, you know, 100 yards from him. So I was like, okay, this is the guy. This is the guy that's going to be able to help me here. Uh, week went by, two weeks went by, I didn't hear anything. I contacted him again where he had been very friendly the first time. He was now very cool, very aloof, and it seemed obvious to me that his uh, – mammologist his mammal guy had given him an airful about there not being such a thing and hang that thought michael hang that thought we'll come back finish that story find out what happened to the hair any other evidence of this black panther we'll find out from michael when we continue we'll also get some news reports about this black panther phenomena of late and get michael's reaction stick with us think you've heard it all just wait until into the paranormal continues Hi folks, Ronnie here from Life Change Tea. There's a lot of hubbub about the ramifications of GMOs. First of all, what are GMOs? Genetically modified organisms. Yee! Man-made organisms entering our body, changing and damaging us from the inside out. What's our defense? First of all, not eating them. Second, cleansing from them when we do eat them. Thank God for Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. Life Change Tea cleanses from toxins, heavy metals, and helps flush GMOs out of your body. Our unique blend of herbs help cleanse you from the inside out, helping you feel refreshed and clean of Yee! We also carry unique, one-of-a-kind supplements. So order online at getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. Rid yourself of the yee that contaminates your food and water. Go to getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. Get the tea. Your best defense. Make sure to select Into the Paranormal at checkout. Getthetea.com. Paranormal News with John Jeter. Not your ordinary newscast. Residents across the area are reporting seeing and hearing strange events. Could our brains be transferable one of these days? Yet another one of those unexplained booms. Nearly 100 additional exoplanets have been discovered beyond our solar system. Pair of normal news with John Jeter. Not for the fate of heart. Well, that's uh, it's really dark, man. Only on Into the Pair of Normal.
somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. It's something that shouldn't exist, but yet it does. We're talking about Shadow Cats, the Black Panther phenomenon with Michael Mays. He's the Texas cryptid hunter. And right before the break, he was telling us about some analysis done on the hair. Uh, remind us to the University Southeastern Texas, I believe you said, Michael. Yes, sir, that's correct. And so and here's one here's one professor who goes to another, and you know after you had been told by many others that well, I, I'm not even going to in, uh, to investigate this because it's something that doesn't exist. Uh, this guy got an earful from his other half. Well, apparently, because his entire demeanor had changed. Uh, the initial contact, he'd been very friendly, gregarious, you know, really enthusiastic. As I'd mentioned, he he actually shared with me that he had seen what he called a Black Panther himself. Uh, there's a town um, in East Texas called Anawak. It's it's fairly got got some a lot of wood and swamp land there. It's between Beaumont and uh, Houston. And uh, that's the area he was in, and he said he actually saw one himself. And so he was actually very enthusiastic about the whole idea. And I want to stress, too, I wasn't asking anyone to do any kind of uh, expensive DNA analysis or anything like that. All I wanted to do was have someone who knew what they were looking at, someone who uh, knew about the mammals of North America and hair morphology and things like that. Just take a look at them under a microscope. Tell me if they feel like, is this worth pursuing? Does, or, or maybe you can just tell me, oh, no, that, that's clearly a hog. This is hog hair, you know, whatever it may be. I just want to find out what I've got here, right? So that's all I was asking anyone to do. Um, so a couple of weeks go by, I did not hear from him uh, and... When I got in touch with him again, his whole demeanor had changed. So in my mind, what had happened is he had gotten with this mammal guy uh, and gotten an earful probably from the guy about what a joke this was and what a waste of time it was. And he, these things don't exist. And so he said flat out, he said, I, 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 I can't help you. And that was the end of that. So since then, I've, I've contacted some other um Probably people some of your listeners have heard of. They've appeared on shows um, on TV that dealt with you know, cryptozoological topics, and some of these uh, scientists who do the DNA testing and, and look at this the evidence and stuff. I've I've tried to get a hold of some of those, and none of them are interested either. So right now I've got a envelope full of uh, black animal hair of some kind uh, sitting in my nightstand drawer by my bed, just sitting there until someone deems it worthy enough to take a look at. I'll just throw this out there uh, because I, I uh, interview I did about a month ago uh, involving some potential Bigfoot hairs. Those were turned over to George Knapp, who promised to do an investigation on those. So mm-hmm. there might be an idea for you. Uh, but I, I guess the, 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 the gist of this story is so this gentleman who, even though had seen one of these Black Panthers himself, would not help you out. He would not, no. And, and, and now let me back up a little more. Even, even before I contacted these universities, uh, I have a friend who's a, got a degree in wildlife biology, and 
you wouldn't think this would be anybody's hobby, but it is. He owns his own microscope, and he, he catalogs hair and things that he finds, and, and he uh, really knows a lot about it. And so I let him look at it initially, just, you know, tell me, you know, is this a coyote? Is this a hog? Is this a, just a dog that the guy hit or something? And, you know, he knows enough, has enough experience to uh, rule out all the obvious stuff. And uh, once we got that hair atlas, which I mentioned, um, he compared what he saw in the microscope, uh, and took photographs of it, and compared it to um, animals not only native to North America, but across the world. And he said he did not find anything that looked to be a an exact match. He said, the closest I came to a match, he said, believe it or not, was leopard hair. He says, it's not exactly, he said, but it's by far the closest. And he assured me that I, it was not a dog. It was not a coyote. It was not a hog. It was not a mountain lion. So once you get past those candidates in Texas, the list of uh, culprits gets pretty thin. And I took the pictures that he had taken under his microscope uh, along with his findings, and that was all included in the in the request that I had sent to these folks. And again, so again, only three people responded. One just to basically fuss at me and tell me I was wasting my time. One did send that hair atlas, which did come in. Uh, well, let me back up because initially I did send it out before, and which Mark, my friend, used to to further identify it. And then when I sent out the other queries, uh, you know, mentioned what he found and. Nobody's interested. Nobody wants to hear about it. Well, we want to hear about it, and uh, we'll inf- encourage the uh, audience to go pick up the book, Shadow Cats, The Black Panther Phenomenon of North America. Black Panthers of North America, the title, Shadow Cats. We've got it linked up at paranormalradio.com. Michael Mays, my guest, he's the Texas Cryptid Hunter. His website is texascryptidhunter.blogspot.com. He's got a, a Twitter and a Facebook page as well. If you're on the website tonight, we've put his social media links there. Give him a like and a follow. Our toll-free call-in number, 855-790-8255. That's 855-790-8255. Or you can Skype ITP51. Just type that into your search bar, ITP, for Into the Parabnormal 51. 51 stands, of course, for Area 51. Or you can just go to parabnormalradio.com, look for the Skype button, click it, and you will get to us. It is that easy. We do have some questions coming in on Twitter, and I want to get to those in just a moment. Um, but as, while we're talking evidence, uh, any other evidence uh, to uh, to account for, uh, including scat or, or anything uh, of that kind, Michael? Um, as far as scat, not really. There, there are some photographs. There are some uh, videos out there that are uh, very intriguing. Um, the problem with photographs is often one of scale. The problem uh, is it's it, 2018. Well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And uh, photographs can be manipulated. Photographs can be uh, faked. Um, often there's nothing in the photograph to give uh, a sense of scale. So you don't really know how big the animal is you're looking at because there's nothing of a known value in the photograph. And unless you can get out physically to the spot where it, where the sighting occurred or where the photograph was taken, you, you have a hard time 
uh, knowing exactly how large the animal was. And um, so those are some of the problems, but there are some pretty intriguing photographs. Um, like I said, we've got the hair samples. Um, scat, I don't know if anybody, I, I, I have seen cat scat out and about in the field when I'm out there. I've not bothered to collect it. Um, we have so many bobcats uh, uh, that, now I'm told that anything that's jaguar sized or cougar sized, if you see it, it's much more substantial than bobcat. So maybe I just haven't seen the right pile yet, but I have not com- uh, collected any scat that I think belong to one of these animals. But uh, we do have the hair, and 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 I'll be honest. Look, I I don't know what the guy hit. I know what he says he hit, and I know what my friend Mark, who examined the hairs under the microscope, said. They were the closest match to, but I've got the hairs and then I've got some pretty intriguing photographs. And one cool thing about the book is, is a lot of these photographs are in it and they're full color. It's, uh, you know, they're all in color. They're not these grainy black and white things. We'll put a picture up on Twitter and Facebook uh, for those to see in just a moment. I uh, I did send you a link uh, in our chat there and wondering if you have heard of this story um, because this headline says, you know, we're, t- we're talking about photos, and here is a picture of, it's from Australia, a backpacker mm-hmm. claims to have taken uh, a photo of a black panther, and you can clearly see the uh, what we're talking about there. Looks like uh, the black panther is, is on a, a dirt or gravel road, and uh, looks like there are headlights on the black panther. And uh, this gentleman has put this picture out on social media, and people are saying it is the clearest picture yet, but some others aren't so convinced. Um, Do you see the picture we're we're talking about, Michael? Have you seen that one, and what are your thoughts? Yeah, I have seen that one, and that actually has kind of made the rounds over the years. That's a... um, uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings. That, that's that's a, like a ceramic um, figurine or something. That that's a pretty well known. Uh, well, I wouldn't say well known. That that's a hoaxed uh, photo um, uh, that's been debunked. I know Lauren Coleman, among others, have have looked at that in the past, and and that's been the conclusion. Um, now there was one of more recent vintage just a few weeks ago. Uh, a couple weeks ago, that's a little more intriguing that was taken. It was from a distance and clearly shows a pretty substantial black animal. Uh, I believe it's traversing a hillside. And uh, again, you can't really tell how big it is. And it's it's a little fuzzy like all cryptid photographs seem to be. But, um, um, but um, you know, it has at least a chance of being a, a real animal. My understanding, now this, I'm not going to say this with 100% certainty, but my understanding is that photograph is is a hoax photograph. Good to know. We need to point out uh, uh, stories and, and pictures that are not true because, like we said, it is 2018. Anybody who has Photoshop can make something appear as is. And that was just my description. It looked to be, you know, in the headlights, kind of out on a grip. Uh, no, gr- yeah, it's a very, it's a, it's a great looking photograph. But that is that is my understanding. Um, is that that has been debunked and was actually some sort of. Um, like I said, a, a, 
statue figurine, almost like something a, a, a high school might have on hand as their mascot or something like that, something uh, that these guys took and, and put in the road. And now, again, uh, I haven't personally debunked it. I've just read that. So it bears looking into, but my understanding is that that's a, that's a hoax. Michael, how, uh, how uh, I guess, well, what is the uh, best picture you have seen? Well, um, one of the more convincing photographs I've seen is one I used for the cover of the book. It um, uh, shows a, a very long-bodied, uh, robust, clearly cat uh, going left to right across a pasture. This was a... Uh, the photograph we used for the cover was actually a still from a video that was shot in Iberia, uh, Paris. So that is Louisiana. a real a real picture on the the front of the book. That's a, yes, that's a real picture. Now, like I said, it's a still from a video, but um, now it, there's some controversy around it. Uh, Louisiana wildlife officials showed up at the scene, um, uh, went through some sort of investigative process. I, I I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know exactly what they did, but. Uh, they declared it to be a house cat and nothing more. Uh, the thing that is interesting about it, um, I, I've talked to, the, to the, the family that was there. They were actually having kind of a big family get-together. This was on the 4th of July in 2013. And so there were a lot of them there. And they all saw it. And they were they're just livid with the findings of that the Louisiana wildlife folks had put out there. They said this was a big animal. This was a dangerous animal. Uh, they swear to a person that this was a big cat of some kind. And, and as I look at it, um, there are some pictures in the books where uh, we talk about feral cats and that being a possibility for some of the sightings. But house cats and feral cats, they look like house cats and feral cats. Um, uh, this everything about that picture tell, says to me that, that that's that's a substantial animal. That's not you know fluffy from from somebody's house that got out. You know that's that's a, a big robust animal, and so I have uh, taken them at their word. Like I said, there were multiple people there who were just, and they're just furious. And I mean, just, just talking to them, it got them all worked up again about the, what the, uh, the wildlife folks in Louisiana said about their, their sighting. And, um, and so, uh, it's one of the more intriguing pictures. Uh, like I said, anybody that wants to, to see it, uh, you just find the link to the book, just see what the book looks like. You'll see that photograph is the cover and you'll see what I'm talking about. And um, like I said, there are some other pretty interesting photographs that I've collected over the years from people. Um, and a lot of them, you know, they're non-definitive, and I'll be the first one to admit that. Uh, I don't think any photograph is ever going to serve as adequate proof that these are real. But, video, but video might, Michael, right? Well, theoretically, you would think so. Um, but it did not in this case. And uh, matter of fact, uh, people interested in the Black Panther thing kind of equate the Iberia Parish um, video to the Patterson Gimlin film for for Bigfoot folks. It's there. It is you know uh, daytime, clear walking left to right, 
there it is, you know, and yet still it's not enough to satisfy folks. And, and people will look at that photograph and say, hey, that was proven to be, that was debunked, that was proven to be a, a, a house cat. And I, my response is always, that's what they said, yes. And, and the, the truth of the matter is I'm really not much of a conspiracy guy. I really am not. But in this case, I just don't believe that that's a house cat. I, I don't know. Maybe the Louisiana uh, folks really believe it, it, it is. Or maybe there's some other reason why they're saying it is. I, I, that I can't say. But in my opinion, that's not a house cat. So from the video in which this still was captured on the front of Shadow Cats, your book, Michael, what did it? What did the video show as far as the animal moving around? Just, just uh, basically what you see on the uh, the cover there is just it's just walking across the pasture. Um, the grass is a little high, not not super high, but a little high, high enough where, in my opinion, if it had been. Uh, feral cat, domestic cat of normal proportions, you might have seen the back of it walking you know through you would not have seen the, the whole animal um, and it's it's just kind of ambling across it's in no big hurry it's a a very uh, self assured kind of you know confident animal i mean there are people in in nearby proximity who are kind of freaking out a little bit about seeing it and it's in no hurry it just ambles on uh, across the pasture and into the woods and and that's it that's all there is to it it's it's really unspectacular as far as the behavior except for the fact of, of what it is it's something that's not supposed to be around does government just not care about this? Because it would seem that the you know Fish and Wildlife Department or whatever the local jurisdiction is there could could find a way to at least put a tracker on something like this and at least be able to know where it is and and potentially uh, to capture it and you know to kill it and to do an investigation it may seem in, may seem inhumane to some who are hearing those words out of my mouth, but if we're trying to understand more about this, there's really only one way to do it. Well, I agree with you, and that's what I was alluding to when I said I don't think any photograph or uh, snippet of video will ever be enough. You're going to have to have a specimen for it to be recognized. Uh, And even then, uh, depending on what it turns out to be, I I actually believe that that the sightings are probably a a mixture of things. I don't think there's any one answer. Um, I I think it's probably a combination of several things. when wildlife officials admit to the fact that, hey, you know, yeah, this was a big black cat, the next thing they jump to is always it's probably someone's escaped exotic pet. Oh, yeah. And I used to, um, <laughs> two things I've learned in the research. One is, is, it used to be the old days, it was like a circus train crashed and, you know, monkeys got out or cats got out. And so apparently uh, circus trains are the most dangerous mode of transportation ever devised because everywhere you look, there are stories about circus trains crashing in the past. But uh, the other thing I've learned is, is simply that this is kind of a go-to. This is something that you hear, not just here in Australia, where they do have reports of big black cats. Uh, that one photograph, as I said, I believe that one has been debunked, but there are other photographs there. 
uh, confirmed cats. Uh, there was, uh, and what's interesting is they're feral cats, but they're growing to enormous sizes. Uh, uh, there was a, a cat killed and uh, became known as the Gippsland Panther. It was shot by a gentleman named Kurt Engel. And, and the cat was five feet from the nose to the tip of its tail and weighed, I believe, 66 or 67 pounds, which is, you know, the size of a, a small leopard. You know, this is and they did DNA testing on it and it came back as, as a domestic cat, you know, Felis catus. And uh, it, it's it's unreal as to how big some of them are getting over there and we're not really sure why but i I think that's a possibility that to some degree that's taking place here too um but anyway back to what wildlife officials say it's someone's escaped pet and i did learn during the research for the book that um that is big business and and there have been more escapes than i ever would have guessed but these animals are almost always caught within the first 24 hours or shot. And the idea that escaped pets, exotic pets, or finding other escaped exotic pets in the wild and, and have enough of them gotten together to have a breeding population is pretty ridiculous, in my opinion. We're going to head down the home stretch with Michael Mays, the Texas Cryptid Hunter, when we come back after another paranormal news with John Jeter. I'm Jeremy Scott from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. Stick with us. Into the paranormal. Do you take Viagra? Are you tired of overpaying for your pills? What if you could get the exact same results for a fraction of the price? Guaranteed. Well, now you can with Sildenafil, the active ingredient in Viagra. With 20 milligram generic Sildenafil tablets, you get the exact same results of Viagra for less than $2 per pill. And again, the results are guaranteed. That's right, absolutely guaranteed results for a fraction of the cost of Viagra. So give your wallet a break and call us toll-free at 800-511-9761 to get your generic sildenafil delivered discreetly to your door. And of course, while saving hundreds of dollars, you'll also be saving time by saying goodbye to those long, embarrassing pharmacy lines once and for all. Again, just call 800-511-9761 and get your generic sildenafil with a 100% money-back guarantee. Getting your pills doesn't get any easier or cheaper than this. So call 800-511-9761 now. This is Paranormal News. I'm John Jeter. A woman from Tennessee has filed a lawsuit against NASA over moon dust. Oh, what's she been snorting, man? That's right, moon dust, which she claims was a gift from Neil Armstrong to her father, Laura Murray Chico says her mother gave her the vial of dust when she was 10 and a business card with a note from Armstrong. She says her father was a friend of Armstrong around the time he walked on the moon in 1969. That's one small step for man, one Chico is suing NASA to declare her the rightful and legal owner of that vial of dust and its contents. NASA says they retain control over lunar samples from the six landing missions. 
The dust was sent to a lab for analysis, which concluded the chemical composition of the sample is not consistent with lunar regolith. The woman's attorney previously represented an Illinois woman who successfully sued to gain ownership of a collection of moon rocks used on Apollo 11 worth $1.8 million. Astronomers are puzzled by several bizarre objects that move extremely fast and close to our galaxy's supermassive black hole. They are hidden behind a cloud of dust, look like gas clouds, but behave like stars. A team of researchers led by UCLA postdoctoral scholar Anna Ciurlo have announced their results using 12 years of data from the W.M. Keck Observatory in Mauna Kea, Hawaii. The head of science operations, Randy Campbell, says it was quite surprising to detect several objects that have very distinct movement and characteristics that place them in the G object class or dusty stellar objects. Whatever these objects are, they somehow manage to survive the black hole's gravitational pull. UCLA astronomer Professor Mark Morris says, Our view is that they are stars that have become so large that the tidal forces exerted by the central black hole can pull matter off of their stellar atmospheres when the stars get close enough but have a stellar core with enough mass to remain intact. The question is then, why are they so large? Connect with the news at ParanormalRadio.com. I'm John Jeter, Paranormal News. Hour on into the pair of normal. Oh, we're certainly working our way there. Potentially, uh, particularly on the East Coast. Still a daylight out here on the uh, West Coast, the left coast of the United States. We've got a, uh, a, a heat wave coming our way. Kind of had a well, a little bit of everything. Thanks to uh, to my my beautiful sweetie, who's making sure that I have plenty of liquids here in the studio. I think, <laughs> as I say that, I think a uh, good thing we have a cough button here. I think the voice will hold up throughout the program tonight, but you never know. Uh, so far, so good. Michael Mays is my guest. He is the Texas Cryptid Hunter. TexasCryptidHunter.blogspot.com, and he's the author of the book that you can pick up. Uh, we would, uh, if you're interested in this subject. It's a good read, Shadow Cats, the Black Panthers of North America. I, I can't believe, Michael, the ODF&W says this is just a house cat. I mean, some of these reports up to 250 pounds. What are they feeding these things? <laughs> well, perspective is, is, is a tricky thing. Um, I, I don't doubt that in at least some cases people have maybe overestimated the size of, of some of these animals, which is where the... Um, that, which brings in the possibility that there seems uh, there may be a smaller wildcat that we have here in Texas uh, called a jaguarundi. Uh, most people have no idea such an animal even exists. It's kind of a long-bodied, kind of an almost otter-like 
cat. Uh, it's very unusual looking, very long tail though, and so it, it it gives you the impression it's bigger than it is, and it's something people don't see every day. Uh, so I, I really believe at least some of the sightings of what they're calling panthers, what they're seeing, they know it's bigger than a house cat. Um, it's black. It's got this long tail. It's clearly a cat. Panther is what's jumping into their mind. Um, I also think it's possible that there are a few. Um, well, we know that jaguars are returning to some of their native habitats uh, in the American Southwest. We've, we've got game camera photos in Arizona um, and southern New Mexico. If, if they can cross the border into those areas, there's no reason at all to think they could not cross into southern Texas as well. And one thing about jaguars is they not only exhibit melanism, but melanism is a dominant trait in them. So if they're a little bit cut off, a little bit isolated uh, from the bigger population of jags further south in Mexico and Central America, uh, and there is a melanistic individual among them, since that is a dominant trait, uh, eventually it's it's just genetics. It's just the old uh, Punnett squares that you did in freshman biology. Uh, the dominant gene is going to express itself, and in the case of jaguars and melanism, uh, that is the gene that, that makes them black. So if you had kind of a remnant population uh, and you had melanistic individuals in that population, it wouldn't be long before they were almost exclusively black. That's, that's at least a possibility. And they certainly match the description given by people who see larger cats of what these panthers look like. And of course, the melon part is from uh, like in melanoma. It's a it's a skin. It has to do with the skin, uh, and so that's mm-hmm. that's what melanism is. Uh, that's the, the it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's oversimplifying it, but it, pretty much everyone's familiar with what an albino is. Albinism. It's the lack of pigment. It, it's the lack of melanin, so that the skin is is without tint. It's it's very pinkish, and the, the hair is white. It's without pigment. Melanism is when an overabundance of melanism of melanin is produced, and that's what gives our skin its skin tone. And so uh, that turns the skin is black, the hair is black. So it, it's oversimplifying it, but basically melanism is just the opposite of, of albinism. And and um, it, like I said, it's, it's a genetic trait that in jaguars is dominant. So if, if there's one in the bunch and they're kind of cut off from a larger breeding population, that gene is going to express itself in the offspring, and they're going to be black. The Greeks graced us with, with that, by the way, in case you were wondering. Melanism is not something, Michael, that native cats exhibit, is it? Well, it depends on what you what you um, consider to be native. The jaguar is actually a native cat. It, they've found fossils as far north and west as, as your area out there in, in the Pacific Northwest, all the way across the whole what's now the continental United States. Uh, uh, my research has shown me that they were maybe the dominant predator of the last ice age. The saber-toothed cat kind of gets all the press. He's the glamour boy of the last ice age, but there were probably more jaguars around than there were of these saber-toothed cats. And um, and they certainly express uh, melanism, uh, exhibit melanism. 
So Texas, the American South, the continental United States, on up to Canada is original habitat for jaguars. So um, if you consider them a native cat, yes, they do exhibit melanism. They're a candidate. Now, mountain lions are not thought to exhibit melanism. There's never been a documented case. There have been rumors. There have been stories historically of black cougars that were shot. Um, there's one grainy old photograph of a, of, a, of a mountain lion that was shot in Costa Rica in 1959, and he certainly appears very, very dark. But it's a black and white picture, so you can't say for sure. Uh, but it, they just aren't thought to carry the genetics to be black, and so that kind of eliminates them. They, they fit the description in every other way, size, um, the long tail, the weights that are reported but everything but color. So now they, they can vary in color a little bit from kind of a charcoal to that kind of honey blonde color everybody's familiar with. But uh, they do not, they're not thought to exhibit melanism. Uh, the jaguarundi, as I mentioned, they come in basically two color phases. One's kind of a red chestnut kind of color and the other is a, a very dark charcoal or black. So they, they can be black. And believe it or not, they're, Every now and then, even bobcats can can be melanistic, can be black. So there are a handful uh, of cats around that can be, but nothing that is thought to do so on a regular basis where the majority of the population is actually a black color. What about their eyes? Are they, are they uh, what color are they? Um, <clears throat> a lot of that, it's kind of hard to tell. Um, if you're familiar with eye shine, because anything that's that's seen kind of at twilight uh, or at night, a lot of time is being illuminated by headlights or flashlights and things like that. And if you've ever been driving down the road and seen the eye shine in a deer, for example, uh, uh, you, you see the eyes often before you see the the animal itself, the whole body. Um, so yellow, green, blue. I've had all of these. Um, uh, reported, um, but I think a lot of that can be attributed to the angle at which the light was hitting was hitting the eyes. Uh, the same species, the same individual animal, can exhibit different colored eye shine depending on the angle at which the light's hitting it. I've, I've got photographs of deer where their eyes are two different colors in, in photographs taken by game cameras at night, just because of the angle that the light's hitting them. So. Uh, my guess would be they would be kind of uh, a deep brown color would be the real color. Um, but again, we get people swear that yellow, green are probably the most common uh, descriptions I get. What do you think is behind this uh, wave of uh, Black Panther sightings, particularly in North America? Oh, uh, you know... I don't. I don't know if it's really a wave. I think because it has slowed down finally a little bit for me for a while. I just couldn't keep up, and and I think it was simply because people had nowhere to report them. Uh, the few that had gone to uh, in Texas would be the Texas uh, uh, Parks and Wildlife Department that they they would talk to them and they would either be politely dismissed or flat out told, no, you, you saw something else, you know, you couldn't have seen that. And, and so there's this backlog of people through the years who have seen these things and, and never told anybody. And that's, 
I think that Pandora's box got opened uh, when I mentioned at the beginning of this program. I, I did a post, the first post I did on Black Panthers, and all of a sudden, I just the my email just exploded, and it was all these people who had seen uh, these animals. You know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, 15 years ago, my daddy saw one when he was out hunting, you know, and I think some of the backlog has finally kind of, I think we've kind of caught up with it a little bit. And so I'm not getting nearly as many reports from people who saw something a long time ago. They're much more recent now, the ones that come in, but I get them on a weekly basis. I'll get a couple a week, every week. Um... So I, I don't know. Uh, it just may be that we're building houses and we're, we're kind of getting in their grill a little bit in, as far as habitat. Um, they may have figured out how to live in closer proximity to people, kind of like bobcats and coyotes have. Um, bobcats are running around downtown Houston. Uh, it's, it's a common sight. Um, in the book, there's a chapter where we talk about some leopards in, in India that are living in the middle of this big, huge population center. They are living there. They're not going walking through. They're not uh, traveling somewhere else. They have actually taken up residence. The people rarely see them. Uh, officials tried to remove them. They, they captured them. They, they put GPS collars on them, and they hauled them 50, 100 miles away, and they came back. And they're they're living in the city, sometimes within 40, 50 feet of human habitation, and, and people aren't seeing them. Um, so if leopards can do it over there, then maybe whatever these animals are have figured it out too. Because basically, you either figure out how to live in close proximity to people or you go extinct. That's basically the choice they have. Are there similarities with the Clash and Duroc Beast, if I'm saying that correct, which if folks don't know, that is Scotland's virgin, uh, version rather of a large cat? Uh, there are some similarities, I suppose. Uh, really, there's some similarities between any cat species, you know, when you're, that's large, you know. Um, but uh, there are definitely some similarities to this uh you mentioned Scotland specifically, but we'll just talk about uh, kind of Great Britain in general. They call them alien big cats over there, ABCs. You know, yes. the people people are reporting them over there, and there's some some definite uh, parallels to that. I haven't looked close enough at what's going on over there to offer a really intelligent opinion. Um, I would think those have to be exotics that have gotten away or been released simply because I don't believe there's a uh, indigenous wildcat that's of the size that's being reported there. You know, over here, we do have jaguars. We do have mountain lions that, that fit the parameters of the size, and they've always been here. I'm, I don't know if that's the case uh, in Scotland, Ireland, England, you know, the English countryside and so on. I would have to look a little more carefully at that. So to me, it seems it's probably uh, more likely those might be exotics that have gotten away than, than over here. But that's just 
an opinion that's honestly not based with a whole lot of knowledge on it right now of what's going on over there. Over in Birmingham, there is a story of another one of these kind of big cats roaming. Uh, there's even video of it, and that video was submitted to zoologists, and this is telling. They have not been able to identify what this creature was, and these are people who have gone uh, you know, to, to, to school for this. They're supposed to be able to identify animals, and yet uh, those that which are, are roaming over in Birmingham um, cannot be identified, and that probably goes for many of them. Yeah, and, and, and these guys, in fairness, it, it seems a lot like we, uh, you know, I bash them, uh, um, people complain about them, uh, I mentioned earlier how I get emails with photographs attached of people talking about mountain lions in their neighborhood and so on. And, and it turns out almost all the time to be a bobcat. I'm sure they get a lot of false reports. I'm sure they deal with people who who have made a mistake, who aren't familiar with wildlife. So I'm sure that does get old. Um because you know, because I've experienced that myself, so I can't imagine what what it's like to them. So I, I think, to some degree, we're a little too hard on them. Uh, you know, if you get ninety nine calls in a row, ninety nine times it's been something else. That hundredth one might be real, but the chances of you wasting time on it, it or yeah, taking you know, it serious. Exactly. I think sometimes we're harder on these guys than we we should be. And other times, though, you know, when they're, they they do seem confronted with direct evidence, they don't seem very interested. And uh, people have asked me why that is. I, I really think it's like a lot of things in life. I think you follow the money, and it's strictly a management issue. If, if, if we were told tomorrow that there is a, be it a novel species of black panther or a uh, or jaguars are, are now back and, and living in Texas, um, then that's going to be something that they're going to have to manage, and that and that there are their resources are already stretched. Uh, dollars are hard to come by uh, for environmental causes, and our national parks are suffering because of budget cuts and so on, and, and so are the wildlife programs. So it may, it may just be. A money thing, a management thing. They just don't have the resources to deal with it officially, anyway. And Michael, I did send you uh, the video there in the chat, um, and uh, it may take a while to load, so uh, you may not be able to see it just yet. But uh, there, I, it does it does seem that there is one of these Black Panther like. Uh, beings uh we'll call them animals um that is on the prowl do you see that i see it i'm trying to get it to play right now i'm getting a commercial first naturally oh naturally so, so we'll sit through that <laughs> again this was over in england um one woman says it was the shock of her life and that she was physically shaking from the encounter I don't know if if uh, it, if it's this exact uh, video that she is referring to because you don't see anybody in the actual video. Uh, story from the Independent, by the way, over in the United Kingdom, but there definitely is something walking around on all fours there. Yeah, there, there is, and the impression that you get 
is that it's a substantial animal. This this is not a uh, uh, a little moggy. This is not a little house cat. It looks to be a big animal. Um, uh, now I. Yeah, and you know the color is kind of hard to make out due to the there's it's kind of under uh, maybe a mercury or a halogen light kind of gives everything an orangish tint, so it's, it's a little hard to tell. But it's very long bodied, looks like a very robust animal. So um, I have no idea, but I can tell you this: that the 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 exotic cat trade is big business. I. I during the research for this book, found that uh, the exotic pet trade is second only, you know, as far as the black market goes, it's second only to the uh, the trade of drugs and weapons as far as the dollars uh, that are exchanged on, on the black market for these exotic animals. And and the big cats are the crown jewels of the, the exotic pet trade. And um, now... Of those big cats, it's almost all lions and tigers. That that seems to be what people want. We had a, uh, oh, it's been several years ago, but Conroe is a is a town in Texas. It's a it's a little further away from Houston than that. You can't really call it a suburb, but it's it's just uh, outside of Houston. And um, tiger cub with a leash on it, just wandering around downtown, was found. Uh, so somebody had a tiger, you know, and, and was walking like a dog and it got away and they never were able to track down. It had no chip or anything and they were never able to track down the owner. And there is a, a permit you're supposed to have. There is a registration you're supposed to uh, belong to if you have these big cats. Uh, but the black market, the illegally um, traded cats, or it's hard to tell exactly how many are out there. And um, this could be one of those. And, and a lot of people, it, well, you're probably familiar with the problem Florida's having with the Burmese pythons in the Everglades, um, eating up all the mammals in the, uh, in the swamps and everything. Uh, this population got started because people released their pets. These snakes got too big to handle. They got dangerous and, and they didn't want to kill them. And so they dumped them. They thought they were being humane. Uh, I think sometimes, uh, in at least a few cases, that's exactly what's happened with these cats. They, they, they've gotten, they're scared of their their pets. And, and it seems crazy to think somebody would release a dangerous animal, but people do. Um, and, and we've got several examples in the book I went through. Uh, there was one case in Arkansas. A guy took a tiger out, dumped it. 7,500 miles from his house, and two days later it showed up on his porch. It, you know, it came home. So it's, it does happen, and, and this could very well be a case of that. Michael, absolutely uh, awesome tonight. I appreciate you coming on the program and opening uh, my eyes and certainly our listeners' eyes to a subject that I don't think yet has really seen much of the light of day. But, you know, between uh, thanks to people like you who are gathering these stories and are putting them into a form in which the readers can digest, uh, a lot of credit goes to you because without that, it would still be a uh, not-so-talked-about subject. I appreciate that. Thank you. And so uh, tell folks how they can contact you in all of the variety of places, please. 
Sure, sure. Uh, well, there's the blog. It's texascryptedhunter.blogspot.com. You can follow my activities there. Um, if you want to email me, it's just texascryptedhunter at yahoo.com. You can email me directly. If you can't remember that, just do a search for Texas Cryptid Hunter, and I've got the email address on the blog and the margin there. You can just click on it and get a hold of me. There's a Texas Cryptid Hunter Facebook page and Twitter. Uh, and, uh, you know, would love to have you guys contact me with any questions that you might have. Uh, the book's available, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all places you can get online textbooks. Not textbooks, but online books. My daughter is starting college in the fall, so I've got textbooks on the brain. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, there's also a link on the on the blog where you can get yourself a copy if you want. If you would like a signed copy, email me and we can set something like that up. Be glad to do that for you. Best, Michael, we appreciate your time tonight. Well, I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Absolutely. It was a riveting conversation. And when we come back, we are going to switch gears to talk about time travel, but not the way you're thinking of time travel. That's after the top of the hour. <laughs> Paranormal News with John Jeter at the bottom of the hour. Only on Into the Paranormal. People are waking up. They're standing up to those pushing pesticides and GMOs as safe alternatives for a starving world. What a bunch of crap! I tell you, I'd rather eat dirt. So, I drink Life Change Tea. It's an herbal drink, cleansing my body of toxic sludge and nasty chemicals, and of course, ridding the intruders that are hidden in my so-called food. And by the way, Life Change Tea is non-GMO and organic. No fillers, no yuck. Just a great defense against you-know-what. May the supplement force awaken you. Don't fall to the dark side. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> I went to the movies last night. Anyway, enough said. How do you get that herbal drink and change your life get the t.com that's get the t.com you will awaken you will get stronger and you might even lose a bit of weight so awaken to life change tea and the many one-of-a-kind supplements at get the t.com that's get the t.com may the supplement force be with you so like into the paranormal at checkout our house it has no internet low on data or away from the internet hey as long as you've got minutes on your phone you can listen to Into the Paranormal live for free. Call 701-719-9703. That's 701-719-9703. Powered by TalkStream Live. Listen to Into the Paranormal on your phone anytime for free. Yeah, baby. And make sure you download the Paranormal Radio app for iOS and Android.
boring politics. Just tales of UFOs, aliens, Bigfoot, and earth-shattering science. You're traveling into the paranormal. Jonathan Messer created a universe with the flip of a 67-cent Radio Shack switch. Paradox, the debut time travel thriller from E.G. Rowley. After being pulled unconscious from his birding home, Jonathan embarks on an incredible universe-spanning adventure while battling two warring factions, one determined to control his invention, the other bent on its ultimate destruction. Fueled by painful memories, John is focused on only one goal, save his family, no matter the cost. E.G. Rowley draws on his degree in applied science and his love of science fiction to create a dazzling, mind-bending adventure that will challenge the reality of the very universe you live in. Available at egrowley.com in paperback, audiobook, and all-new Jump Cart Audio, exclusively from Jumpmaster Press. Paradox from E.G. Rowley. He's here right now. E.G. Rowley, a nationally recognized voice actor, radio host, and playwright. He's a U.S. Army veteran, having served in both Afghanistan and Iraq, and an avid outdoorsman. E.G. lives near Birmingham, Alabama, where he's the general manager of a nonprofit radio station that gives back to the local community. And as you heard, the new book is now out, a time travel thriller entitled Paradox. And the author, E.G. Rowley, is here now. Welcome into the Paranormal. Thank you very much. I don't think there's any better place that I could have launched the national debut of Paradox than into the Parabnormal. Let me tell you, well, so excited to be here. And and I'm thrilled to have you here as well. Um, your story told in Paradox, when I told folks <laughs> we we're going to talk about time travel tonight, they probably thought of one particular uh, thing. But your story is really kind of an unconventional tale of time travel. Well, I like to call it a fictional science novel rather than a science fiction novel because in college I studied physics and I was always enamored by time travel. How can we really do this? And, you know, when you think of physics, you think of this old professor with wispy white hair and yards of blackboard with mathematics on there. That's actually physics. So when I thought about how I could put this together, the real golden goose is the unified field theory. So that's what we really tackle. And there's a lot of science and actual physics facts in paradox. I've had people read the book and they're like, look, I'm Googling these things. I don't know what a traversable wormhole is. And I don't know what Hawking radiation is, but they're looking these things up. So when I sat down to write this time travel novel, being a science fiction nut that I am, I said, let's make it as scientifically accurate as possible. So when people think time travel, oh, I'm going to build a time machine, I'm going to go back and things are going to happen, some of them good, some of them bad. I said, no, let's make it scientifically accurate. So the, so the time travel that happens in paradox is as close to physically accurate as I could make it. Now, I had to do it in, a, in terms that people could understand. So you're not going to get you're not going to get a doctoral thesis by reading my book either. No, but it's but a lot of fun. Well, and, and so you're kind of the, the simple you, – you make this uh, simple man's definition for how to kind of understand these uh, theories or these uh, thoughts uh, as, as simple as possible. Can you explain unified field theory to us? So when you, ha when you are talking quantum physics, 
you have two schools of thought. You've, you know, Einstein with relativity, special relativity, and then you've got quantum mechanics on the other side. And the third piece that we don't know to put the two together is gravity physics. We really don't know what happens inside a black hole because we can't witness as observers what happens past the event horizon. So there's been a lot of theory in physics about information loss when something goes into a black hole what happens to it well there's a uh, something in physics that says that no information in the universe can ever be lost right it kind of goes with the 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 uh, the axiom that uh, 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 nothing can be destroyed it can only be converted okay so inside a black hole we theorize as a singularity we don't know what's in there True. so that's the third piece Unified field theory takes the two pieces, special relativity and quantum mechanics, and puts them together with that thing we don't know. And it gives us a unified theory of the universe. Because this, this is stuff that we're still learning about, E.G. I mean, nobody has the answers on any of this stuff. Absolutely. And it's all theoretical. That's the beautiful part about it. You can sit around with your friends and you say, you look up at the stars and you say, you know, I wonder what's in the middle of that star. We have a really good theory of what there is, but we don't know, which means you could be absolutely right sitting around talking about what's in the middle of a star with your friends. That's the beautiful thing about theoretical physics. Yeah, in fact, the news tonight with John Jeter has kind of bits and pieces of all of this. Uh, I, I don't know where these stories come from. I don't know why they tend to come out when they do, but when we when we get word of them, they're on the news, and we have lots of stories relating with a lot of these subjects in the news tonight that you've already heard and that you'll hear in this third and final hour. And, of course, we, we talk about black holes. You mentioned Hawking radiation, which is this electromagnetic radiation, uh, radiation that, according to Hawking's theory, uh, is due to a black hole capturing one of a particle or antiparticle pair created spontaneously near to the mm -hmm. event horizon. And that is the theory that allows us to, to say information that falls into a black hole is not destroyed. That's what we first thought about is information goes in. And when we say information, we mean particles and you know solar systems and all kinds of things. We call them information. That information goes in, but how does it come out? And when Hawking finally said, okay, well, this, these things that radiate out from a black hole, that Hawking radiation, when two black holes interact – they create what's called a, a traversable wormhole. They have to interact in a certain way. And theoretically, you could put a piece of information in one black hole, and you would, of course, see it disappear inside the event horizon, and it would then travel to the other black hole, but it can't really escape. But we can read the Hawking radiation that comes out of it and reconstruct the information. And that was a beautiful piece of physics theory when Hawking said that. Wow, absolutely amazing stuff we're touching with EG tonight. Uh, you, you deal with applied physics. Explain what that is for folks who don't know. So applied physics is taking the, the physics of the natural world and, and finding a way to actually put it in your hands. So a great, let me just put it this way, USB, okay, universal serial bus. There's a lot of electronics that go in there. Yeah. Well, somebody had to think about that and theorize, and how are we going to move this data back and forth? Why, does, why do I have to apply power to one thing but not this other thing in order to make it to work? That's, uh, that's taking physics and applying it in the natural world. And, and that's really what physics is to me. It, it, it runs the universe for me along, of course, with you know the deities that we believe in. But physics... And when you apply it to something, and it's, it's simple as moving the world with a lever. 
That's physics. That's applied physics. Okay, so I think we're just about there connecting this, but 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 uh, get us fully there. How does this uh, relate to time travel? Okay, so the, the, the best thing about time travel is that we know it's possible. The actual math of time travel is possible. What we don't know is that that missing piece. And in the future, I believe we're going to find that. And that opens up all kinds of fun doors to how time travel moves. And let me tell you how time travel works. It's not getting into a ship and going back to, say, the Revolutionary War or going 3,000 years in the future. That's the science fiction. The science fact is that if you can create an event in space-time, that means that a future event has also been created. So, for example, I use a very simple uh, analogy of a light bulb. When you walked into your studio today, you turned on the light. That applied power to some wires and then to the bulb and then light came on. Now, sometime in the future, in order for you to turn that light on again, that light has to go off. Whether it's you turning the light switch off, whether it's a power outage or a meteor striking the planet, something's going to happen that forces a future event before you can turn the light on again. You have created two universes right there. So... If you could create a device that only turned on the light over and over and over and over and over, you could then connect those two together with something called a time-like curve. And those could be connected, and when they're warped in the, in the right way, your future path could actually take you back in time. That is scientifically accurate space travel. It's called a closed time-like curve. Okay, I just have turned off the light. Now I'm going to flick it on. <laughs> well, you created your own future event now. Exactly. You've now you have fulfilled one future event and created an entirely new one. If only now, the my, fun thing, if only the fun my thing bo- about this. Oh, go ahead. The fun thing about this theory is that I have to turn the machine on today and let it run for a day, and then I can connect all of the points between the, the turning on of the machine and that point. So if the machine ever turns off in the future, I simply turn it back on again. I've created that event in the future. And if, I can, if, we, can, if we can create that event here on Earth and let that machine run for 100 years, then we should be able to connect all of those points back together with closed timeline curves. Wow. Absolutely fascinating stuff. He's E.G. Rowley, and he's the author of Paradox. It is a time travel thriller. Uh, thriller. If his na- if his voice sounds uh, very familiar, it should to the uh, audience of this program. You- you've mentioned that science fiction is not science fact, and many of, of the time travel stories that we hear um, are these – are these people uh, who are experiencing maybe another reality or – I mean the, you see pictures all the time of somebody who's traveled to and fro and they come back with a warning for humanity of what's going to happen in the future. We've heard of stories of people going back, as you mentioned, like to the Civil War and, and pictures that can be uh, – or in some cases that were taken back then, which may show somebody who seemingly mm-hmm. looks like they do now. Physically possible with science or not? Well, the the best thing about, as I said earlier, theoretical physics is that theoretically in the future, we should be able to create it. And that's the beautiful part about science fiction. Anything you can think of today could possibly exist in the future. So with people moving back and forth through time 
I think is absolutely possible. I don't think anybody from our past is going to come forward because obviously they don't have the technology unless it moved there from the future. But I do absolutely believe that people in the future will find that missing piece of quantum mechanics, that gravity theory, and come back. There's an interesting part about that, the paradox part. There's all kinds of paradox. They fall into three categories. And the one everybody thinks of is, well, I'm going to go back and kill my grandfather, and he can't give birth to my father, and then and it's the grandfather paradox. But there's something called the Novikov self-consistency principle, and this is where that math comes in in physics. In your own timeline, you can't create a paradox. You can create one in somebody else's timeline, but you can't in your own. The math works out to zero because you lose the ability to create that paradox. So even if you did go back, even if you had the technology to travel back to when your grandfather was alive, you would not be able to create that paradox because the math says you can't. And that's why I love physics. Yeah. Mathematics certainly does add a new element to this all. Um, tell us about about this story told in Paradox. Uh, is is Jonathan the character who we heard about based on a real person? Is this a real story maybe based on real experiences? There's a lot in Paradox that are actual experiences. Obviously, the travel through time and some of the twists and turns uh, is the science fiction part of it. The science is as accurate as I could make it. I, I call it about 99% accurate scientifically and about 100% fiction. Now, is this someone that has moved through time and done these events? I would say, of course, no, because I wrote it and, and it's a science fiction novel. The events could occur because the twist in paradox as i bring the character along he has to learn certain things and one thing that he learns is there are two warring factions that are vying for control of his device one of them it wants to control it as they say for the betterment of the universe the other one wants to completely destroy it and here's the scientist who's caught in the middle and the other thing is, he created the device to do one thing, and it turns out that it does a whole lot more, and a lot of people are affected by it. So it's a story where the main character, John, he creates this in his garage, like most great scientists do, and, and all kinds of things begin to happen along the way. It affects his wife and his family, which... You know, he's got three daughters. I've got three daughters. His wife's name begins with an M. Mine begins with an M. So I, I wrote a lot of myself in there, and I've actually had a reader ask me, are you John? Do you travel through time? And I said, no, I'm not John, and I don't travel through time. But, man, I'd love to. <laughs> I really would. So that answers the next question. E.G. Rowley has not personally time-traveled. I have not, not as of late. But if I do can figure out, if I can figure out what a singularity does inside of a black hole, I will be the first one to do it. So what kind of, uh, does it take a device? Uh, if it doesn't take a machine, maybe explain the switch and what it might take to actually do this. Well, so what we created in the book is a fictional machine. And the theory behind what the character is trying to do is to create a micro-singularity. Basically, something so small that it affects uh, a small area around it. So if we created a black hole in a laboratory today, say the, the, the size of a basketball, it would suck up most of the planet. But if we did one the size of a quark, it would not affect, it would affect an area around it of about 20 yards. So 
the smaller the singularity, which of course is a singularity is a, the densest object that we can theorize inside of a black hole, which is stars that have collapsed on themselves and then keep collapsing and come to the point of a singularity. We don't know what actually happens in there, but we theorize it. But the, the character's theory is that if we take magnetic forces, which one of the fundamental forces is, is magnetism, and we, we, we switch it back and forth at such a high rate that we can create an artificial gravity well inside of this machine that he's built. So it's very, it's non, the base is non-conductive. It's made out of wood and plastics, but then it has these rotating uh, spheres that actually freeze in space. One interesting thing about the, the book as I wrote it is that in the universe that he's in, and of course, if you read it, you'll learn that there are more, spoiler alert, there are other universes, that all of the machines were turned on at the exact same time, and it's the only fixed point in space among all of the places that, that have that device. So by switching the electrical uh, electromagnetism back and forth at such a high rate, then we create a micro-singularity. And, and I say, hey, it affects an area around the scientist's garage and it allows him to then start sending notes and things back to himself without destroying the entire planet by creating a black hole in his garage. Okay, so uh, I want to get all the hardware that it takes to build one of these things. What am I looking at? And can this thing fit in my garage, or do I need to take it out in the backyard to build it? Uh, it will absolutely fit in your garage, and you're going to need lots of tungsten. <laughs> That's... <laughs> So good luck with that, first of all, because then you've got to get it to a certain melting point. Tungsten has a melting point, I think, of just over 3,000 degrees. And that's a rare so metal for folks who don't it's, know. It's very rare metal. Where do I go to find that? Where do I go to find that? Where do you go to find tungsten? Yeah. Uh, probably deep within the earth. I mean, you can buy tungsten rings, but they're they're relatively inexpensive because they use a cheap grade of tungsten. But tungsten melts at about 3,000 degrees. So if you've got a furnace in your garage that can get up to 3,000 degrees, okay. you might be able to melt the, uh, melt the tungsten into the perfect spheres that are required be- to uh, shift that electromagnetism back and forth. Then there's a very specific way that the tungsten spheres have to be uh, connected so that it moves back and forth. That's why the balls, uh, I call them spheres balls, that's why when he first turns it on, they're not actually aligned properly in the book, and it's they're clashing into each other, but because the metal's so hard, it doesn't destroy itself, then things happen, air finger quote, I can't tell you, it's a book, uh, then it settles down and it's in the perfect uh, synchronicity for everything to just kind of freeze in space, and it actually is very freaky when you look at it. Does it have dials uh, on the inside? Am I able to uh, pick where I would like to uh, transport myself in time? Yes, you can. It actually uses a principle just like the Mayan calendar where it starts at zero and starts counting up. So the Mayans used a calendar that say today is the 15th million day of you know this cycle or whatever. So the machine uses the same principle because we don't want to use a clock and we don't want to, it doesn't really matter what the destination time is. We can set that by, by setting a distance from the time the machine was turned on. So you turn it on, you can go to 12 days, 12 hours, 12 seconds, and you're, you're there. So it's kind of a zero time. And then everything starts from that point. And that, forward. So that's so can, from, is that's from the beginning of the Mayan calendar? What's well, the beginning of the time uh, the the machine was turned on? The time the time the machine was turned on is zero, and everything after that is in a, is an ascending number, which is very similar to the way the Mayan calendar worked. So, if I wanted it, to go fifteen years in the future, I would turn the dial to that and 
voila, yep. 2033, here I come. Yep, you would go 15 years from the moment the device was activated. Yep, day Excellent. zero. Excellent. And that's, how you, and that's how you do it. And you can hit any time in between. Now, there is a twist, and I said earlier that there are multiple universes in there, and there is a setting for which universe you wanted to go to. It has to do with the universal frequency and how, how matter is transformed. Now, there are switches and dials, but they're pretty much irrelevant uh, other than I want to set a destination. Because the machine itself, once it's turned on, because it's a black hole, because it's a micro-singularity, is actually pulling in matter and creating its own energy source. So there's no outside energy source. There was a spark to get it going. And then from then on, because all of these things are connected, it's simply feeding energy unto itself. Is that unlimited energy? Relatively, yes, because as energy is moving through one uh, black hole, one device into another, it actually powers the devices on the other end. So as long as as matter is being fed in. Now, remember, this is a a very large number of universes, and all of those are feeding feeding energy or eating matter, if you will, devouring it because it is a black hole into that. Then, of course, that energy is spread amongst them. So you have one point of of exit and many, many points of entry. My guest is E.G. Rowley, and it's a time travel thriller that you're hearing tonight, the story of Jonathan Messer and what happens in the flip of a 67-cent Radio Shack switch. Stick with us. We'll continue after John Jeter with Paranormal News. Here on Into the Paranormal, I'm Jeremy Scott. On Facebook, like our page for all the updates at Paranormal Show. Oregon Bigfoot Festival, Saturday, August 18th, 2018, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. at Glen Auto Park, Troutdale, Oregon. Admission, $5 donation for adults, kids 12 and under. Get in for $2. For an additional $35, you can attend the VIP conference meet and greet with their special guest, TV reality star and Bigfoot researcher, Cliff Berrickman. Cliff Berrickman? Hey, that guy's been looking for me for years. We're talking... Bigfoot exhibits, merchandise vendors, food carts, carnival-style games, and more. It's going to be awesome. Say, baby, you guys thinking what I'm thinking? Road trip! Road trip! Road trip! Road trip! trip. Oregon Bigfoot Festival. Hey, things are about to get squatchy again. (laughs) Into the Paranormal, coming to the Oregon Bigfoot Festival, August 18th in Troutdale, Oregon. This is Paranormal News. I'm John Jeter. NASA's solar-powered Opportunity rover is threatened by a dust storm on Mars that has blanketed about a quarter of the surface, plunging the vehicle into dark, perpetual night. It's sitting right in the middle of the storm with its main power source out of commission. Opportunity's energy levels have never been this low before. It appears to be in power-saving mode until the storm passes and the sun reemerges. Most of its functions have shut down. 
Project manager John Callis says, We're concerned, but we're hopeful that the storm will clear and the rover will begin to communicate with us. Officials say this storm is the most intense ever observed on Mars and is almost completely blocking out the sun. It covers an area nearly the size of North and South America combined and could encircle the planet any day now. Opportunity is one of two rovers that landed on Mars in 2004 and has made important discoveries about water in the planet's past. Spirit was abandoned seven years later after it got stuck in a sand trap. Want to live on the International Space Station? Just save up 55 million bucks and within a few years, you could live aboard the ISS for 10 days. Axiom Space is offering expeditions and working to build the first commercial space station, which will link up with the ISS. The cost covers your stay, transportation, and astronaut training. Perhaps you can negotiate a deal to visit the luxury space hotel that is being proposed. Connect with the news at ParabnormalRadio.com. I'm John Jeter, Parabnormal News. Jeremy doesn't bite. Call 818-672-6865 or Skype in at Into Paranormal. Just scratching my brain right now, trying to make sense of all this, and I get where we're going tonight. It is a theory that I have not thought about before. And E.G. Rowley is making us think tonight. He is the author of Paradox. It is a time travel thriller, and you can pick it up at egrowley.com. If you're at the website tonight, we've got links all over the place. Shouldn't be too hard to find. The voice still is not uh, fully cooperating here tonight. Now that we're in the third hour of the program, it might actually be deteriorating on us. But I've got E.G. Rowley here, so everything is is all good. Um, E.G., the fascinating uh, concept that we have talked about so far, uh, nearly unlimited power that can uh, mm-hmm. send this, this machine off into uh, wherever it goes. Now, I've always wondered, when someone steps in a time machine and they shoot off to another dimension, does the time machine stay, uh, does it stay, or does it travel with them? So in Paradox, I actually answer that question. The machine itself is fixed in space. It is the only point in space through all of these dimensions, as you call them, that remains constant. So the machine actually never moves. What moves is the traveler. And as one of the travelers in Paradox touches the the singularity or reaches for the event horizon of this micro-singularity that is the machine, it, to that person everything around them begins to spin and stretch. You've heard of spaghettification. It's the process of when you go into a black hole, your feet are closer to the singularity than the top of your head. Therefore, you start to stretch out and elongate into a a finite piece of matter, if you will. Well, the same thing happens in Paradox, except that the characters have been modified so that doesn't destroy them. And when they get to the other side, they basically arrive in the same place they left, just in a completely different universe. 
if the machine is destroyed, say Jonathan transports himself to 2033, and then the machine is imploded because it is in space, if the physical machine in my backyard or in my garage is destroyed, the time traveler is not left stranded in another dimension, are they? Well, because the way I've written Paradox is that every event that you have Every decision that you've ever made of, this is a theory of, uh, of a scientist called Hugh Everett. It's called Many Worlds. And every time we make a decision, whether we brush our teeth or not today, spawned a new universe. So because every event in space-time has an outcome, the opposite outcome must be true as well. Let me give you an example. This is kind of a morbid example, but it's, it, it proves the point. If I hand you a, a revolver and I say, put this revolver to your temple and pull the trigger, mm-hmm. and you and I both know there's no bullet in the gun, when you pull the trigger, nothing's going to happen. That is a zero event. But if we put a bullet in the chamber and I hand you the gun, what is more than likely going to happen? Uh, I won't be here tomorrow. Exactly. Unfortunately, more than likely the odds are that you would hurt yourself. Now, there's a very small probability that it will be a misfire or some other event will happen that will stop you from pulling the trigger. So both of those outcomes have to be true, and the math says both of them have to be true. Both of those outcomes create new universes, one where you did hurt yourself and won't be there tomorrow, and one where you're not. And that is what is actually connected by the time machine in Paradox. All of these events, all of these new universes and decisions spawn all of these new universes. John Messer's creation allows them access to all of these different universes. What happens when he flips the switch? When he flips the switch, the very f- the machine is turned on in all of the universes where the machine was created at the exact same time. F- when, a, when a black hole is created, a sun compresses down on itself to a finite point, and all of this energy is released when that happens. So the same thing happened when John flipped the switch. He created a micro-singularity in his garage, and it released this, informa- this, this energy from that, that collapse. And what happened was, in order to travel through the machine, his genetic structure was altered. So he can now travel through the machine. And there's a very specific reason why that happens. And, and of course, I'll explain, I'll explain that in the book. So that energy is also released. And actually, it forms a protective barrier around parts of his house and parts of the garage so that the machine itself is, is protected from pretty much everything else in space-time. And that's why it's a fixed point. Why is there this uh, group that wants to destroy what Jonathan has stumbled upon? Well, he runs into two factions. One of them wants to control the machine, and one of them wants to destroy it. The group that wants to destroy it, they haven't had the best luck. Things have happened to them in their universes or in multiple universes that they want to stop. And they believe that if they can destroy the machine, that everything that bad has happened to them will will revert itself. Let me stop you there. That's not not even possible, is it? That, say, if you stopped Um, time before someone in your life something bad happened to them that it would stop it from actually happening correct and and the math says the the physics says that that event in space-time is an actual event so anything you tried to do to stop it you really can't so they have to learn that in a very hard way and they do it over and over and over again because 
it's so ingrained in them that if I destroy this machine, then everything I've lost will come back to me. And the reality is they could destroy a trillion of them and it would never come back. This might be giving too much of it away, but does Jonathan come back home safe and sound? I'm not going to tell you that. I want you to read the book, but I will tell you this. Jonathan doesn't know throughout his entire journey that he's being helped along the way. He does meet one faction, then he meets another faction, and he has to go through a transformation. But at the very end of Paradox, what you'll find is that you've actually been reading two stories at the same time. Mm. So when you get to the very end of Paradox, you'll scratch your head and you'll be forced to go backwards through the book from the end to the beginning and find all those pieces along the way that you didn't know you were reading. And then it will all become very clear and it will make you want to think, wow, I sure would like to read the next story if there is one. Hint, hint. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, thank you for dangling that carrot. I think we, we, we've taken the hint, Gene. Um, does the machine uh, make a sound? Uh, when 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 the dials are activated, uh, you know sometimes so, in science fiction you hear all these you know space noises and poof, anything like that real? Well, the only sound that the machine makes again, trying to be as scientifically accurate as possible, is that when someone travels through the machine, there's a matter to energy transfer. Now we are a fairly large object, and when we go through the machine, the amount of energy that is stored in the matter of the human body gets converted into energy, and that does create a crack, because as matter is pulled from one universe, energy is thrust into it to keep the, the matter-antimatter balance of the universe in balance. So as and that that goes to the powering of the machine. So as an as a tiny little air molecule falls in, it doesn't make a whole lot of noise. But when a when a human being goes through or another object of of certain mass, then it does make a cracking noise uh, when that person either reappears or that energy is is lost. Now I think you mentioned earlier that that through this, Jonathan uh, was was physically altered. Did I hear that correctly? So when Jonathan turns on the machine, that energy wave that comes from the creation of a singularity does interact with his body, and it, it actually interacts with everything in the in the room, and it changes him, and it, it, it allows him to then travel through the machine to these other universes. Now, remember, every universe has its own specific frequency of vibration. So if you were to travel from one universe to another without your body being able to adjust to that universal harmonic... Uh, bad things would happen. So because this energy wave changed the the molecular structure of his body, he's allowed to go through the machine, and then there's a moment pretty much every time when he goes through it that he has to sit there for a second and allow his body to to synchronize with the harmonics of that specific universe because it's different from the harmonics he just left. And 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 so when you come back, uh, when you come back to this universe, does that reset itself? The exact same thing happens. Every time you make a jump or go through the device, you have to synchronize yourself to the the harmonic or the vibration of the matter in that universe. And that's why universes are around us all the time. They just vibrate at a different frequency that we can't detect. Yeah, so, so E.G., how many speculation, opinion, guess, any of those things, how many parallel universes are among us? Infinite. Infinite, an infinite number. If you imagine all of the decisions by every human being ever to have taken breath on planet Earth, 
spawned new universes, there's an infinite number. Some of them have died off. Some of them are being created. Right now, people are listening to this program creating brand new universes in different frequencies with with different outcomes that we can't detect. It's kind of a cause and effect thing. You know, you can, in our physical universe, a, a cause always precedes an effect. Well, because our universes are colliding and slamming into each other, sometimes we can witness an effect and say, what was the cause of that? That's easy to understand that it could have been a completely different universe. Now, bouncing back between these parallel universes, would that take a supercomputer? I mean, something something has to has to be uh, there has to be a brain for all of this, a hub. No, as long as you know the frequency of the universe you want to go to and the time frame in which you want to go there, it's pretty easy to set. And then you touch the event horizon of the machine, and off you go. Well, I shared a, a story last week on the program that I, I'm pretty sure was a story of time travel. A woman heard, heard breaking glass in the home. She thought that uh, there was a break-in of some kind, and so she calls 911 as she's on the phone with the 911 dispatcher. She begins to go upstairs, which I think is not the best thing to do if you think there's an intruder in your house, but nonetheless, (laughs) she proceeds upstairs, and she gets to the bedroom, and she thinks, well, maybe it it was just the mirror on the wall that fell off. Maybe that was what caused the broken glass, because clearly no window was broken, And then she proceeds from that point into the bathroom, and she sees a man bleeding from the ears passed out in her bathtub. And she tells the dispatcher, by the way, his name happened to be John as well. That may be a coincidence or not. But she tells the dispatcher that this is John, and the dispatcher says, well, who's John? You just thought you had an intruder in your house. You said you lived alone. It turns out her husband had passed, oh, maybe about 16 or 17 years previous, and she says it looked an awful lot like him, even younger than when she remembers that they first met. Sounds like mm. a, classic, a classic case of time travel to me. Mm-hmm. It sure does, especially uh, because there was no one in the house and she lived alone, and then all of a sudden there was a man in her house bleeding. Yeah. I I would say that that sounds like time travel to me because a lot of times going through these universes or traveling through time, that is not a relatively safe thing. It is a a violent procedure to be converted from one universe, if you will, or one time frame to another. That is a violent process. And usually if I was to go through, I would end up on my knees heaving every time. I'm just hoping that he made it back to whatever universe he resides because co- coexisting with a man who looks an awful lot like your husband who happened to pass away, um, that's that's the definition of creepy to me. But uh, <laughs> Gene, it's been fascinating well, to, to talk about all this tonight with you. It certainly uh, comes from uh, a, a different angle than, than I have talked with many about time travel. But I loved it, and I want folks to go pick out, uh, pick up your book. You've got it available in a variety of different formats. Tell us where they can pick up the book. Well, you can obviously pick it up on Amazon. You can pick it up on egrowley.com, R-O-W-L-E-Y. It's available at several other uh, uh, retailers, online retailers. And, of course, the audiobook will be out very soon. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, just pick up the book. I hope you love it. It was a ton of fun writing. It took me about seven years to write it. Uh, even though I loved physics, it took me a long time to research it and I hope everybody loves it and it's an action adventure and there's a great twist at the end. So I I love to hear your, your thoughts on that when you get to the end of the book. Have you picked a narrator for the audio book yet? Well, I know a guy. Uh, he's he's pretty busy, though. Yeah, he, he's kind of in high demand. He's kind of a big deal. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but he's got he's got a lot of work ahead of him. But yeah, I'm trying to crank this audio book out as fast as possible. All right, EG, it's a pleasure. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, and the more I ponder on the whole situation of uh, the character in his book being named John and the man in that story that we told last week at the beginning of the program of the case of time travel, a uh, little bit more suspicious now that we uh, we have known what we know now. 855-790-8255. That's 855-790-8255. It's toll-free. We'll pay for the call. Let's chat. We've got 10 minutes left in this week's program. Just a, um, a, a peek into what we've got coming up for you next weekend. It is the uh, final weekend uh, of uh, June. There will be a, a, another Saturday in June, but there will not be another Sunday in June. So that means our two for the price of one extravaganza weekend is next weekend. You'll get me on Saturday night as we're talking talking with Leonard David about the future of space exploration on Mars. I wonder if he's seen Lost in Space as well. Aaron Hunter tells true stories of real paranormal activity. He's my friend from the uh, Real Paranormal Activity podcast, RPA, and uh, we'll uh, we'll, uh, pick his brain next week as well. Also on Sunday night, we do that show at 5 Pacific, 8 Eastern on many of these fine affiliates. Laura Lynn will be here talking about using her psychic abilities to make contact with angels, spirits, and guides, the spiritual methods of ghost hunting and past life regression. That is Sunday next week. And don't forget, I'll be at the Oregon Bigfoot Festival live there. Uh, at a special time of 3 Pacific, 6 Eastern that day, just because of the hours of the event. But that is August the 18th, coming up at the Oregon Bigfoot Festival in uh, Troutdale, Oregon. That's going to be fun. So 855-790-8255. That's 855-790-8255. It's good that I only have a couple minutes left in the program because the voice uh, needs a rest. But yeah, that whole connection, uh, very, very suspicious if you ask me, made me ponder that conversation with Gene Rowley about the possibility of how many parallel universes there actually are, I asked him, and he said infinite, and I I believe he's right, because I don't think we can put a number on infinite, and um, if so if you've visited a parallel universe, you could call and tell us about that, 855-790-8255, that's 855-790-8255. You people do send me hate mail from time to time. I I got uh, some of that right at the top of the hour, the last hour after we talked with uh, Michael Mays, the Texas cryptid hunter, simply because I didn't give my opinion on the matter. And I have to step back and think, okay, yes, I am a talk show host, and yes, I have an opinion, but is my opinion really that important every single night? Sometimes I don't think so. Well, I know so. And it's not necessarily what I think about any particular subject. I know some of you are interested, so I do give my opinion certain times. In fact, if you want to know my opinion on anything, call the phone number, and you can ask me flat out, and we'll have that conversation. 
So it's not that I, it's nothing that I want to talk about or anything like that. But you know, quite honestly, I think we can we can spend our time talking uh, about other things than what Jeremy thinks. But it's fun. It's fun for me to tell you what my opinion is on certain things. Sometimes I don't always have an opinion. You know, I ask the questions trying to get the answers for you and for us. Doesn't necessarily mean I agree or disagree or that I have an opinion. But since those of you think that I need to give my opinion more on what I actually think about some of these subjects, well, I guess I'll do that. But really, I want you to have an open mind. I want you to reach your own conclusion. That's really what it's about. It's not about listening to what Jeremy Scott has to say about the paranormal. It's, it's not about uh, what any of the guests have to say about the paranormal. It's about reaching your own conclusion, about doing your own research, and about thinking for yourself. And so I hope you'll do that. I hope you're not just you know taking our word for it and saying, well, I heard these people on the, on the airwaves Saturday night, and they were talking about whatever, and, well, here's what they think. And so I think that as well. But as far as the Black Panther phenomenon... Uh, I mean, all you have to do is listen to the descriptions, and all you have to do is hear the stories, and you know that this thing is not a house cat. You know it's not a feral cat. You know it's not something native. And uh, if you don't know that, you're just not really objectively looking at the facts. You're like the professors who don't want anything to do with evidence that's dropped in their lap. I don't understand that. If evidence was dropped in my lap and I had a possibility of making a name for myself, even if it was on somebody else's behalf, I would probably do it, especially if I had had an experience myself. That story is still, still as odd as odd can be. And, of course, on the subject of time travel, I, I, I'm sorry that I didn't get to the question from... Uh, from God of Thunder on Twitter, if time travel does become reality, isn't there a very real probability of events being altered for nefarious reasons? And he used the key word being probability. And the preceding words, very real. And yes, there is a very real probability, uh, if you're asking me. And I think that E.G. Rowley would agree if I did ask him. Again, I just, I saw the question, but I, 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 I apologize that I didn't circle back to it. But, of course, there's a possibility of everything and anything out there. And as it relates to time travel, yes, it could be used for such nefarious reasons to go into time and go back in time. But we know that you really can't change reality. We do know that. You can't alter what is going to be or what was. That we do know. And, uh, you know, remember, many theories come true. Many theories never come true. It's just the uh, nature of the beast. But if you never entertain a theory, and this was really in-depth, particularly at the beginning part of this hour with Gene Rowley when we had him break down all sorts of scientific terms for us from a layman's perspective, you know, this is stuff that, that maybe 50 years from now, you'll be saying, in 2018, I was listening to that show that talked about this, 
And whatever your reaction to that was, it has now finally come and materialized. It could happen within your lifetime. In fact, I would, I would, I would bet that most things that you deem impossible or unlikely are probably possible more so in your lifetime than were in your parents' or your grandparents' lifetime. I mean, we have excelled far enough technology-wise and whatnot that anything that wasn't possible before is possible now. Now, is it possible, like Gene said, about moving back? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it is or not. And I've said before, it's not our place really to tell someone what they have or have not experienced. And we can still choose to believe for ourselves or not. And I do think time travel is real. It's legit. It's possible. But that recent barrage of stories that I talked about, oh, probably a couple of months on the program ago, they were just coming in one after the other of somebody who's traveled to this time come back from this time and have a revelation for the world there was just a whole bunch of them one after the other well have you kind of noticed at least i have they don't don't seem to be around much i haven't come across a uh, time travel story in a couple months it's almost like after i talked about it it just went away so believe uh, what you want in fact um dr dean Raiden, who was here on the program a couple of uh, weeks ago there's a story that we, uh, we're we not going to get to tonight. But basically everything he told us two months ago scientifically has been proven. But he told us that, you know. Take people for what they uh, for what you wish. I hope to talk to you next week. I'm Jeremy Scott. Thanks for being here. Thank you for supporting our advertisers. It keeps the show free for everyone. This statement has not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. No offense, but are you a little fat when you look in the mirror? How would you like to learn the secret to losing three to five pounds a week without joining the gym or going through any crazy diets? It's called Body Sculpt RX. For the last two decades, we've helped countless people lose thousands of pounds. And now... It's your turn. Learn how to lose weight with one simple phone call and no prescription needed. You'll see an amazing difference in a matter of days. Don't believe us? We'll offer you a risk-free money-back guarantee. So if you're ready to start losing weight, call right now and get a free month supply with your first order of Body Sculpt RX. Call now. You have nothing to lose but the pounds. 800-395-4207. 800-395-4207. 800-395-4207. 800-395-4207. 800-395-4207. That's 800-395-4207. You've heard me talking about My Patriot Supply for a while and things aren't getting any easier. From global conflicts and unstable supply chains, when shelves run on empty, you don't have to panic. Choose peace of mind with their three-month emergency food supply to keep your shelves and your stomach full. In an emergency, you won't have the time, resources, and ingredients to prepare your meals in the way you're used to. But you can get a leg up with My Patriot Supply. It's a three-month emergency food supply. You don't have to skimp. It's ready when you are. It's disaster-proof. 
and no food boredom here. 20 plus flavorful food and drink varieties. My Patriot Supply is offering a special deal for Into the Parabnormal listeners when you go to parabnormalradio.com slash food. Get your My Patriot Supply today from parabnormalradio.com slash food. That's parabnormalradio.com slash food. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 